With your Amex card, entertainment benefits like special ticket access and pre-sales to select can't miss events while supplies last, make every tap music to your ears. At Bed 365 we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a walk-off grand slam or a base hit to center field. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Pet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Hey, it's Jonas Knox. 56% of job seekers say their biggest challenge is finding a job that matches their qualifications, according to an Express Employment Professionals Harris Poll survey. The job search can be a lonely process, but Express Employment Professionals can be your one connection to finding a job that fits. Each year, hundreds of thousands of people find work through their local Express office. Find the location near you at ExpressPros.com. With no fees for job seekers, visit ExpressPros.com. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Signing up and playing is so easy. Simply sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you can get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more than ever. Place your money line, prop, and parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets. If you don't win your first bet. That's right, up to $1,500. Again, sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus in President Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. That's 1-800-GAMBLER. The Dan Patrick Show, 12 years in and going strong. Happy New Year. (laughs) But we can always be better. I want you to be better. Listen to more Dan Patrick on the Dan Patrick Show app, for example. Or, here's a thought, don't miss it in the first place. I want you to grow. Maybe listening while working out. Another thing that you're not doing frequently enough. I never said Dan Patrick was (laughs) And finally... Spend more money on Dan Patrick's show apparel because... They want the money, and they want the money now. Well, that's just a good decision any time of year. Get the DP Show app in the iTunes Store or Google Play now. Gottlieb, hello! This is what we're doing? You're on. That count. What'd you think the countdown was for? Somebody has to explain this to me. Oh, you... Oh, 
you probably thought it was New Year's theme. No, that was to let you know when you're on the air. Ugh. So we'll try again. Here's Doug Gottlieb and former Pro Bowl wide receiver T.J. Hushmanzada. Long summer, man, T.J. Hushmanzada. I'm Doug Gottlieb. Welcome in. Happy New Year. 2019, 2018, barely knew you. Here we are. Man, it's great to be guest hosting for Dan Patrick, Dan and the Danettes. Back very, very soon. In the meantime, we're getting you ready for January 1st, which used to be like the coolest day of the year. Used to be. It's now still kind of a cool day, and we have bowl games, but it's not the same, right? Like, do you remember how old are you? This is this is one of those how old are you? If you're old enough, you remember when January 1st had all the big bowl games. If you're old enough, though, you also remember that I believe New Year's Eve had this terrible Walt Disney Orange Bowl parade. That was like, like the Rose Parade, don't get me wrong, you could not pay me to sleep overnight on the streets of Pasadena, get up early in the morning, and watch a bunch of floats go by that are made out of rose petals. It feels like a colossal waste of time, and especially a waste of rose petals. I'm not saying it's not amazing. No one's sitting here saying like, hey, it's not really impressive what they do with rose petals. But but I would also tell you that it's just rose petals. And they don't look nearly as cool up up close. Like you're sitting there up close like, whoa, there's another float. Whoa, there's a dragon. Whoa, there's some horses. I do like the bands. I just, you couldn't pay me enough. Anyway, the point is there used to be a progression in all these bowl games. And it would end up with whatever the big game that would decide the national championship would be whether that was the Orange Bowl, a lot of times, you know, a team from the Big Eight, like Nebraska or Oklahoma, would be taking on Miami or something like that. You'd also have the Fiesta Bowl, the Rose Bowl, the granddaddy of them all, always starting in the afternoon with as beautiful a setting as possible. Look, we still have the Rose Bowl and the Sugar Orange has obviously apparently already been played. That's what we're calling the semifinals that were played in Miami. The Peach was the other one. And now we have a national championship game Monday. But I, I will say that like one of the things that's gotten one of the things that's gotten screwed up. One of the things that's gotten screwed up is with the college football playoff as bowl games. TJ Hushmanzada, when you were at Oregon State, did you guys play in a bowl game? Fiesta Bowl. Was that the last one at night? Which how what, who was that against? <laughs> the team that shouldn't have been in the college football playoff this year should have should not have oh Notre Dame. Notre Dame yeah when we stomped Notre Dame out I forgot about that you guys yeah. did you guys did you guys did blast Notre Dame yeah um what, what was it was it New Year's Day it was like late was that the last game New Year's do you remember what it was yeah it was a well it was a BCS game right and, you know they called the BCS thing so when I was playing it was Fiesta Bowl Sugar Bowl Orange Bowl and Rose Rose Bowl yeah. those were the four premier bowl games and so, lucky, we are fortunate enough to get one of them. And you guys stomped Notre Dame. Stomped. Didn't play the second half. Because it was so bad? It was that bad. We were up, I'm guessing, 30-something to zero. Who else do you guys have? Myself, Chad. Quarterback was Jonathan Smith, who's now the head coach at Oregon State. Uh, Ken Simonton. Our defense was loaded, though. We were big and fast. 
Nick Barnett, Dewan Edwards, they both played over 10 years in the NFL. James Allen, DeLorence Grant, Ladarius Jackson, Dennis Weathersby, Keith Hayward Johnson, he's a DB coach at Oregon now. Terrell Roberts, Richard Siegler. We we had a really good team. And how long into the game did you know like these guys are terrible? They're not at not at our level. It was probably probably the first series. I mean, we we rolled them. I, I believe we scored pretty much every possession in the first half. And you were like, these guys, what was it about them that wasn't as good as? They just weren't as fast as we were. They, and, you know, the these games, how it works is when you, the banquet, you're supposed to interact with each other, and they really didn't want to interact with us. <laughs> and so our coaches kind of made that a point prior to the game. What, what do you mean they didn't want to interact with you? We were told going into it, like, for instance, it's five guys at a table, say. Right. It'd be two of us and three of those and vice versa at each table. But at the banquet, it that didn't it didn't go that way. It was just our team at every table, our coaches at every table. We're supposed to be – we're supposed to intermingle, so but, to speak. But, but why? Didn't. I don't know. I don't know. Our coaches just said they're not doing it. Who's your, who your head coach? Dennis Erickson. Oh, that's right. That's when you guys had a role in. Yeah. And then, like, look, I know we want to get to the topics of the day. You had a crazy path to get to Oregon State. Didn't you, like, not finish high school? Yeah, I, I didn't uh, graduate from high school. Did you play football in high school? One year. Okay, so wait, give, me, give, me the, give me the path. You got to start high school as a freshman where? In Barstow. Barstow in Barstow? Cal- Barstow, California. Wait, wait, nothing happens in Barstow? I've never, heard, I've never met anyone in my life who yeah. lived in Barstow. Yeah. Barstow, for people who are listening to the Dan Patrick Show nationwide, when people and they still drive from L.A. to Vegas, that used to be the stop where you'd always stop there because they had the world's biggest McDonald's. Yeah, is that what happened? You went to McDonald's, you're like, <laughs> I'm gonna hang out here for a while. Pretty much, it's really nothing to do out there. But okay. I'm friends with the guys that I really deal with now to this day. They all still live out there in Barstow. All of them. Okay, so you go Barstow. How many years? I went to Barstow High School. I got there midway through my freshman. I grew up in Barstow, number one, but I, I moved back and forth with my mother. Um, my grandmother lived in Barstow. My mother was back and forth between different states, Texas, Oklahoma, out here. Um, so I went half of the year my freshman year, moved back wherever my mother was at. My sophomore year, I probably went to high school about half of the year. My junior year. What'd you do the rest of the other half of the year? Like, this is a fascinating to me. Like, I don't know. Uh, I've, I've never met, I, honestly, like, and you and I have been friends for years. I've never met anybody who's like, well, I went to high school and then I went to college and then I played. I and was then I played pretty much, I was just pretty much, I was literally, when I was in my sophomore year, I was probably just now getting to bed around this time. What would you do? Just be out. Yeah, but you don't drink and you don't smoke. Never smoked anything a day in my life. Okay, so what would you do? I'd just be hustling. <laughs> What's hustling me? Just trying to make some money. Selling what? Just selling weed, whatever I could. So you sold weed but didn't smoke weed? Never smoked it a day in my life. Okay, so you did you get kicked out of high school or you just leave high school? So my senior year, I played football. That was the only year I played. And uh, once grades came out, I didn't go to school. I went to school literally at lunch, fifth period. I think I probably had an A. Sixth period was football, and that was it. So we went through football. Once grades came out, I got kicked out of. I got kicked off the basketball team because I was playing basketball. Right, and I was just like, "Why am I going to school if I can't play sports?" So I just stopped going. 
And then how'd you end up at Oregon State? Like I went to I went to Cerritos Junior College and but without without it, did you get to take a GED or what? You, you don't do? need. I eventually got my GED after my first year at junior college, but you do not need a GED. At least you didn't at that time right. to get into college. I just took the assessment test, and if I scored high enough, I was good. Um, and so I scored high enough after my first year. The coach at Cerritos was like, "You have a chance to go to college. You should just go get your GED." And so I went and took the test. And then you got your AA after how many years? Uh, I was at Cerritos a year and a half. And then you go to Oregon State? Yeah, I was on the dean's list in Oregon State. I don't want people to think I was an idiot. No, I was, you're not. I was that, an that, idiot in my choices, not an idiot uh, that's intellectually. Correct. That's that's the crazy thing about about like our friendship. Like I don't know if you remember, I had you on at the other place back. Yes, when I remember. I mean, we that that's and I was like, and then I remember reading about your story. We've talked about it periodically, but no, people don't like go back through it. And I remember thinking, like, this is the craziest thing I've ever heard because he's super bright, and it's just, like, again, it wasn't important to you. Yeah, it, you know what? It was, it was just I hustled. From the time I was 13 or 14 years old, I was just in the streets hustling. And luckily for me, I never really got in trouble, and that's just pure luck, really, to be honest with you. I'm the, My mother has four kids. Only one of them graduated from high school. And, and well, did you technically, are you the one, are you counting yourself? No. Okay. My younger, my sister didn't graduate. I got a brother that's under me that he did not graduate. He got in trouble when he was in the ninth grade and didn't get out of jail until he was 22. And then the younger brother, he's the only one graduated. Fast forward to that. And of course you're most known in playing in the NFL for the Cincinnati Bengals. Yeah. Marvin Lewis gets fired yesterday. And when you got to the Bengals, they were the bungles, right? They were, they were. That was Chris Henry, right? That was that. They, they well, Chris Henry came later. When I, people don't understand, like you know, I know a lot of people they're they're on Marvin heads, may, mainly like a guy like Stephen A. Smith, but he doesn't he doesn't understand. When I got to Cincinnati, Dick LeBeau was the head coach. Dick LeBeau, cool as hell. But Dick LeBeau is a coach for veteran players. We were young. Dude, we didn't stay in hotels. It'd be Saturday night. We play on Sunday. Guys are out to like 3, 4 in the morning, and you got to be at the stadium at 10 o'clock to play a game. And it was just the culture, and it was just completely different from once Marvin got there, and we were like, oh, wow. Things changed completely. So how did he get a, a bunch of guys that were young guys that had – I mean, like, look, this is the way you grew up, right? So it's not like the, the, the Marvin. This is what I do with how I how I done. It. How does how does a how does a guy who's uh, a guy who's never been head coach, right? He hadn't been a head coach. Not like he now he came from Baltimore, obviously, and they had a bunch of success. Everyone talks about changing culture. How do you do it? It, it was more so in the way it, it was. Either you're going to change, or you're not going to be here. Because immediately he brought guys in from a. Uh, Washington and or Baltimore. So he's bringing in guys like Sam Adams. And it was either you change or you're not going to be here. And, and for me, it w I was hurt my first couple years. I rarely played. So it, I had no choice. Either you're going to get it together or you're not going to be here. And it, it was people really have no idea. Like in a professional locker room, like training camp, for instance, I, my rookie year, I believe training camp was six weeks. I, I don't think I've ever said this publicly, but I'm going to say it now. 
normally every team has training camp security. We didn't have security. So my fr- my rookie year in Cincinnati, it was like 20 strippers came on to our training camp. We didn't we stayed at Georgetown College. Strippers from midnight to 5 a.m. And it was like our training camp grounds were the strip club. <laughs> every day. Every day. And I was like, are you – I'm calling my buddies that are rookies across the NFL like, hey, is y'all training camp like this? They're like, nah. And so <laughs> I was like, wow. And that's – those type of things were going on. So then when Marvin got there, we got training camp security right at the front. They're checking every car that comes on. It that Just little stuff like that was like, wow, we got security here now. It yeah. was just night and day. It was completely different. Oh, uh, okay. So and that's you, just one instance. All right, you, we, I want I want more instances and more stories. I want to get your reaction to Marvin being fired yesterday. I talked to him yesterday. Oh, okay. We'll get get to this. It's called a tease in the business, right? I got I got to tease. I got to make people continue. Like, man, this stuff is gold. This I'm, write, I'm writing this stuff down. Um, but more stories from TJ Hushmanzada. We do want to talk about like, look, yesterday was Black Monday. Now there's eight coaching jobs that are open. Obviously, everyone's pointing out the number of African American coaches that lost their job. Like, just kind of jumps off the chart. Is there, is there something to it? Um, I actually think there's a, there's a net positive in it uh, that that everyone else has missed on. We'll get to that. Plus, we got all the bowl games upcoming later on, and we have the Antonio Brown discussion. Where if you haven't heard this story, Antonio Brown he wasn't hurt on Sunday. He was essentially suspended on Sunday for his behavior during the week and then no showing on walkthrough and on practice later on. Of course, uh, TJ being uh, a, a truculent, uh, egomaniacal wide receiver in his own right can tell us what it's like to deal I've, with. I've seen some of those practices. I could only imagine and envision what that practice was like. Right, <laughs> I've com- seen them. <laughs> All right, coming up next, Tom Pelissaro is going to join us. He's a reporter for the NFL Network. We'll get his sense of the, the amount of dysfunction within the Pittsburgh Steelers and how – how you fix it? Because, like, let's be honest. Antonio Brown, pain in the ass? Yes. Ridiculously talented wide receiver? Yes. And under contract. So how, how do you fix these issues in Pittsburgh? Plus, we get you ready for a wild card weekend where we have some incredible matchups. With TJ Hushman's out, I'm Doug Gottlieb. Happy New Year to you. It's going to be a fun show here on the Dan Patrick Show. Doug Gottlieb, TJ Hushmanzada here, sitting in for the end of the Danettes. It's the Dan Patrick Show, Fox Sports Radio. Wishing you a happy new year. Hope you're having a great one. Hope everybody was safe last night and you get ready for some football tonight. And of course, wild card weekend upcoming in the National Football League this following Black Monday in the NFL. Tom Pelosaro, our guest from the NFL Network. And, and Tom, uh, a quarter of the league is changing coaches. Seems like a lot. Why, why do you think so much turnover this year? Well, it is a lot, but it's not that off of historical norms. The NFL turns over the entire league every four years on average. Um, I think that what's unique about this year is that you don't have the typical type of candidates that are available. Normally, you know, it's probably about 60% of hires end up being the hot veteran offensive coordinator types. Uh, this year, those guys don't exist. I mean, you would have said John D. Filippo was going to be that guy. 
It doesn't work out for him in Minnesota. He gets fired. Uh, you have Josh McDaniels, who, of course, backed out on the Colts last year. Um, he's in the mix again and, and has a couple of requests for him. And then you've really got a bunch of you know relatively inexperienced guys, some guys who either haven't called plays or only have briefly called plays, and that's why you're seeing names like Eric Bieniemy with the Chiefs and Zach Taylor with the Rams um, getting you know a decent amount of action, at least in terms of interview requests, just simply because you know teams aren't exactly sure where they're going to find that guy, and you're also seeing a bunch of teams that are putting out a lot of uh, requests. You know, you could see teams do a dozen interviews or more simply because there aren't that many targeted candidates uh, outside of Mike McCarthy. Well, uh, that that actually brings me to what I think is a net positive. Like, I I understand when you look at the number of African American coaches, only two currently in the National Football League. Uh, it, it does, you know, get somebody's attention. But one of the hardest things to, to do or to have if you're a black head coach, if, if you're a candidate, is do you have head coaching experience? And now through some of these cycles, th- there is a depth of guys, uh, the Jim Caldwell's out there, as well as the Marvin Lewis's and others that have lost their job. But they do have head coaching experience, which is kind of part of breaking through and changing some of the, the ratios for the future. Is that, is that a fair way to look at it? Well, potentially. You just have to think then, okay, you know, Vance Joseph's tenure in Denver or Arizona with uh, Steve Wilkes, you know, does those, those tenures reflect well or poorly? I mean, Steve Wilkes is, uh, I don't know exactly, but I believe he's in his late 40s. You know, at what point, uh, if ever, does he get another opportunity? I think that that's where... Um, you have some issues here of you go into, you know, let's take Arizona as an example. You come in with a team that signed Sam Bradford for like $20 million. Uh, you draft a quarterback high. They didn't hire Steve Wilkes until like three weeks after last season ended, and so a lot of his picks for assistant coaches were not available. He ends up with Mike McCoy. That doesn't work out. He gets fired by midseason. Bradford's bench after like three games. You put Rosen in there on a team that, does not have a very good offensive line that has a dearth of weapons, at least in terms of you know experienced guys. Um, the defense never played well, and I think that that was probably you know the biggest black mark on on Wilkes's tenure. But he was in a really challenging type of situation. It is GM gets an extreme DUI in the summer and is suspended for five weeks. I mean, they had a lot of different challenges there, and so for one year, you know, when other teams are looking at this, you know, was this his one opportunity? I mean, you'd have to look up the the percentages of how often black coaches versus white coaches get a second opportunity as a head coach, but I certainly don't think that it's a you know a really high number off the top of my head. I mean, you'll see Hugh Jackson obviously got a second shot after you know the weirdness that he had for one year in Oakland. You have guys like Lovey Smith that got a second opportunity, but it's not easy for any coach, much less black coaches, to get multiple opportunities. And so when guys get washed out after a year or two, you know, you're Vance Joseph and you're you know, being told, all right, we got to try to play Paxton Lynch. You know, okay, now here's Case Keenum. Well, here's Trevor, you know, whatever it is, it's uh, it's not easy. You know, so when do those guys get second opportunities? I guess uh, you know, the next several years we'll find out. Uh, obviously, that that's concerning. Tom, how are you? This is TJ Huchmazada. W- with the league being majority African American, and, and then you bring up a Josh McDaniels, and and I just think if Josh McDaniels isn't going to leave New England, and you can go coach Andrew Luck. Why would you even waste your time interviewing them? There, there's not many Andrew Lux in the league, and you had an opportunity to coach one of the best young quarterbacks. And why, why do teams still waste their time with them? Well, I think that that's a great point, TJ, and it, and it goes back. I think we were all saying that in February, which is how is Josh McDaniels ever going to get another opportunity? 
And then by October, when I was talking to people in the league and people who work in coaching searches, I was being told, you know, Josh McDaniels is probably going to get interviewed again. But that goes back to just not having those dialed-up candidates. I mean, if you want a veteran, offensive-minded guy, so some guy who's called plays for a bunch of years, uh, who is it? You know, there, there aren't many of those. A lot of the guys who call plays in the NFL right now are head coaches, you know, the, the Sean McVays and Matt Nagy's of the world. Last year, Nagy was a, a hot candidate. He had relatively limited play-calling experience, but he had some play-calling experience, and that was enough to carry him. Same thing with Doug Peterson the year before. You know, how many guys are actually getting the opportunity, which goes back to the minority hiring point, too, which is uh, the majority of offensive coordinators who end up calling plays have backgrounds working with quarterbacks. There are not many black quarterbacks coaches, so do you have that pipeline that's going to feed into um, producing those candidates? You know, what we're seeing right now is there's not a lot of white assistant coaches who are calling plays either and so again that that makes teams have to start searching a little bit differently um digging a little bit deeper it, you know there are a bunch of defensive coaches they're getting a long look including guys like brian flores uh from the patriots uh, matt eberflus from the colts who's kind of risen i think the process here chris richard who's revived uh, his career after getting lost out in seattle last year really is impressed in dallas learned a lot working with brad marinelli he's called plays down there uh, it's going to be fascinating to see who gets jobs because this goes, the candidates we usually see get hired don't exist. And so, yeah, guys like McDaniels, you want somebody who has worked with a veteran quarterback and has called plays for a bunch of years, it's a really short list, and he's at the top of it. Tom Pellisar from NFL Network joining us. Doug Gottlieb, T.J. Hushman's out in for Dan the Danettes. This is the Dan Patrick Show on Fox Sports Radio. Um, all right, the Antonio Brown story, which came out yesterday, where apparently Antonio Brown was a, was a healthy scratch going back to Sunday's must-win game against the Cincinnati Bengals, which they ultimately end up not making the playoffs. The story goes that he, had, he got into it with, uh, with, with his quarterback and ends up throwing a, throwing a football at his quarterback, leaves practice, doesn't return, doesn't return text, doesn't talk to anybody, and then shows up Sunday like he's going to play, and they're like, yeah, no, you're, you're, you're not playing. Um, how do you... How do you think Pittsburgh tries to fix this situation in the offseason? Well, my colleague, I should mention, Didi Kinkwabala, who covers the Steelers extensively, uh, also added that Brown left the stadium at halftime on Sunday. I mean, there's a, there's a lot to unpack with that situation. I think that you've seen things bubble over um, you know, with Ben Roethlisberger and a variety of different teammates in the past, whether it's uh, Le'Veon Bell, whether it's you know things he said when Martavis Bryant got uh, suspended again. Certainly, he's been critical at times of uh, Antonio Brown, and so this was you know my understanding. I had heard about this um, in some capacity a few days ago that that you know this was a point of real frustration even for Steelers coaches before the game because this is you know a must win. Now they needed help to get into the playoffs, and they didn't ultimately get it. But you know you want your best player on the field, and for whatever reason. Uh, Antonio Brown was not in the headspace where he was going to be able to do that. Now, you know, in terms of the knee, you know, does he have an injury versus, you know, an injury that he could not have played on? There's some some gray area there, and we may get more answers from Mike Tomlin on that. But, yeah, I mean, it's a problem. I mean, this is the the drama that has been around the Steelers, uh, it feels like, for years. And a lot of it centers on Antonio Brown, whether he is live-streaming Mike Tomlin talking about the Patriots in the locker room. Uh, going into a playoff game or, you know, doing something like that happened this past week. I mean, when you're playing, now receivers in general are, are different cats. TJ, you know that plenty well, but, you know, you would also hope that you're able to manage those personalities and not have a, 
a situation like that play out, which is just unfortunate for everybody. Yeah, you would think with what's on the line last game of the season that this wouldn't come to a head. But is it very surprising considering how the season started? You got your offensive line coming out bashing Le'Veon Bell. You have Ben coming out technically bashing Antonio Brown um, midseason. Does Tomlin have to sit down with everyone before the start of next season and say, listen, this is what's not going to be tolerated, no excuses, no second chances. Everybody's been warned this is how it's going to be because it looks like he can be losing the team if he doesn't address this ASAP. It's one of the unique things when we're talking about Mike Tomlin is that, you know, at what level do you give him credit for having all these personalities that he has kept from combusting for years, uh, at least not bubbling over publicly, um, versus, okay, you know, is he losing control of the team? I mean, he's got, he, he's got some guys there that um, require some management. And every team in the NFL, you got 53 guys on a the roster. There are going to be a couple of guys who require a, a lot of extra attention. If they're good enough players, um, you deal with it uh, moving forward. It, it certainly seems as if, you know, whether you want to call it an accountability issue or a cultural issue, there's something here where, you know, things went a, a little bit off the rails. You know, we were, heck, at, at midseason, we were talking about Mike Tomlin as a coach of the year candidate because they had gotten through the bell drama. They had gotten a lot out of James Conner. The defense was playing better. Smith Schuster was a, a breakthrough candidate. It was, you know, look at all the, all the distractions, everything he's had to manage in their winning games. Well, then things fall apart, and it's, you know, how much of the finger do you, do you point at Mike Tomlin within that context? You know, I guess that's for, for everybody on the outside to judge, but certainly some things need to change by next season. Um, all right, let, let's, let's look forward to the, to the playoffs. Um, fascinating to me that the Philadelphia Eagles, Sudfeld played well. Obviously, Nick Foles has been on fire. And then Carson Wentz, uh, look, he was, he's still been active the past couple of weeks. What are you hearing about what's going on in Philadelphia as they prepare to take on that Chicago Bears defense? Well, what we know is that Carson Wentz has a significant injury and that he's going to you know, continue to get scans on it and see whether or not he's making enough improvement where potentially he could play at some point. We've also seen Nick Foles, by and large, play at a pretty high level to this point. He took the shot to his chest the other day. It does not sound like that's anything that's going to impact his availability uh, for Sunday against the Bears. It's, uh, you know, if you're looking in the big picture, you think about what they gave up to go get Carson Wentz high in the draft. That's their guy. That's their leader. Um, Nick Foles in a position where he can play his way into probably getting paid again uh, for the second time that he would have played for the Eagles and gotten paid someplace else. He's got to hope that it, it goes better for him than it did last time uh, when he left that building. Uh, and Nate Sudfeld's a guy that they, they've really liked. You know, there's a reason they've kept him as the third quarterback on the 53-man roster. You know, the unique thing with the Eagles is it seems like their identity in a lot of ways runs through their defensive front. It's guys like Fletcher Cox and Michael Bennett, those guys wreaking havoc. Um, we've seen the way that they can impact some of the more uh, finesse-type offenses in the NFL. That's going to be their calling card. Um, they play a little bit different offensively. There's no question about it when they have Nick Foles in the lineup versus Carson Wentz. But you have to give Doug Peterson credit for the way that, regardless of who's been a quarterback, the injuries that they've had um, and other issues that running back uh, and other things that they've dealt with, you know, they, they've found a way to pull themselves out of what could have been a tailspin at midseason. And now you have to look at them. Going into facing a Bears team that hasn't been in the playoffs since 2010, there's a lot of guys who haven't been in that, in that position before, including Mitchell Trubisky. There, they are going to be a tough out. Well, with that being said, wild card weekend, big games this week. Who, who do you like? 
Well, I, I try to stay out of the prediction business as best I can because, in part, when I was in the prediction business, I was terrible at it. <laughs> I mean, like I said, I think that the uh, the Eagles are, are a tough matchup uh, for the Bears. That It's going to come down to whether or not the Bears' offensive line can do their part. You know, that seems like a huge part of it. Looking at the other games, I mean, the, the Chargers-Ravens rematch is going to be a fascinating one. That Chargers team has played pretty well the entire season. Teams are still trying to figure out how you handle uh, that type of offense that they're running. I mean, it's just straight power running game. Um, it's a combination. Marty Morningweg, of course, has, has worked with quarterbacks who are going to use their um, running ability a little bit more. Greg Roman, who worked with Colin Kaepernick in San Francisco, uh, is certainly a part of it, too. You've definitely seen some of the same elements that made Kaepernick successful through the 2012-2013. Um, the Seahawks-Cowboys game, I mean, the, the Seahawks is another team that really is driven by their defensive front, the physicality, and their offensive line is another identifying trait. So, you know, who can run with the football more effectively? That's going to impact that one. And then, of course, the Texans playing their annual mid-afternoon game on Saturday. It feels like every time they've been in the playoffs, they've, they've been in that time slot. I, I just think the Colts, we, we've had this discussion on NFL Network in recent weeks, the Colts are maybe the most dangerous team in the playoffs just because you look at how they've started and how they've played over the past three months. Andrew Luck... Um, is, is Andrew Luck again? You know, it all starts with him, the way that he's able to play, and then that defense. There's a reason Matt Eberflus we talk about as a head coaching candidate. They got young guys like Darius Leonard, who's uh, you know playing fantastic and has emerged as an instant star for them. But they've got like three, three like upper echelon, you know, really good starters on that defense. And everybody else, they just they play really hard, they play really fast. Um, going in there and facing uh, that Texans team, that's a uh, I think that's maybe the most challenging matchup that a home team has in these playoffs. Great stuff, Tom. Tom, happy New Year to you. Thanks so much for so much insight into the National Football League, and uh, we wish you nothing but the best. Appreciate you being our, our guest on, on the Dan Patrick Show. Happy New Year, fellas. Appreciate it. All right, Thank that's uh, Tom Pelissaro from the NFL Network. I, I want to get – okay, so so that's, that story, T.J. Oshman's out of Doug Gottlieb, in for Dan and the Danettes. The story is Antonio Brown and Ben Roethlisberger got into it practice, where – I, look, obviously not playing football at a, le- at, at, at a high level, playing basketball. Like guys get into it practice, especially at the end of the year. But. No. No? Not the quarterback and receiver. Doesn't? Not the quarterback and receiver. I, I mean, I've seen it. But okay. At, <laughs> you would think that relationship, would that would never happen. Other positions, yes, not the quarterback and receiver. Okay, so. um are you are you on Team Ben without knowing any of the details? Team Ben without knowing the details. Like like no, and okay. and the reason I say no is because I said it on uh probably the herd or speak for yourself or probably both. When Ben came out and called Antonio when he called Antonio Brown out, he created dissension. He are he created the problem within itself and Antonio Brown publicly will say, "Oh, it's no big deal." That was a huge deal. And so he had this animosity towards Ben that if he didn't say anything, he had it within. Right. And it came out. Okay. So, look, they have it out, and he leaves practice. And then he doesn't show up until Sunday. Like, I like you're the Steelers. You can't play him. Right? No. No, not at all. You can't. So how do you fix it? I don't know if it's fixable. It. Can you play even if it's not fixable? Can you can you still have him as part of the Steelers if it's not fixable? You can, but but it has to be that first meeting back or 
that exit meeting with the team that Tomlin had yesterday, it should have been addressed, and I'm sure it was. But again, in Cincinnati, I was a part of that with Chad, and so it's kind of it just sounds familiar. You have to address it because this is the problem. Young guys on a team see this, and these young guys aren't Antonio Brown. But some young guy on a team could possibly be Antonio Brown in the future. And if that's in his DNA and his makeup to act that way, when he becomes Antonio Brown, he's going to do it because he saw Antonio Brown do it with no consequence. Not only no consequence, but he was actually rewarded with, with a huge contract, right? Like. That's I mean, why you have to nip it immediately because it's a cycle if you, if you don't handle it the correct way. All right, I want, I want your best Chad story upcoming next. That's what I want. I want your best. You said I, I haven't seen except for maybe Chad. Chad, he did these type of things. Leave practice, go home. Numerous times. But you also, you also started by telling us how Marvin, Marvin had you know, created a much better culture. Now – there were times where there, we're getting ready to play the Steelers. Something like this happened, and Chad wasn't going to play. So our game plan changed. And then mysteriously, Sunday morning, Chad was playing. James' game plan went back to the original game plan. Marvin's hands were tied. You can figure that one out. Okay. Yeah, yeah Mike Brown's saying, like, Chad's playing. Chad's playing. He's our best player. He's, he's, Chad's playing. He's, he's going to play. Right, and, and so – you don't have that type of support. It's only so much you can do. And ultimately, does that does does that help or hurt your team to have Chad, but also but not have the discipline? It helps from a competitive on right. the field standpoint. Um, but guys see that, and again, Pete, there's um. Here's here's. Can I give you one takeaway that I've always had that I don't think people like I, when we grew up. There was the idea of the dumb jock. And the perfect example of what you said is like, look, just because I didn't go to high school, it wasn't because it was dumb. It's because I didn't care because right. that wasn't my lifestyle and I didn't right. have the support at home tell me to go to school. But there, there is the, if somebody who hasn't heard, heard you speak, doesn't know your story, goes like, oh, here's some guy that they just got into school at Oregon State and he didn't really know what he's doing and they just got to the NFL and he was, you know, I mean, like, look, there's the where thug or dumb or whatever and I've always been blown away by the inte- like it's not necessarily it's the intuition of athletes and understanding all the different working things. Um, I, I don't know if I'm, I'm I don't know if I'm articulating it well enough, but it's like I, I, a buddy of mine I play with in college, Joe Atkins. Okay, Joe actually owns a rehab clinic in Oklahoma City, and like my wife and my wife and I used to laugh because we I had this expression. I was like, look. Joe will never starve. Like, I don't know if he's going to, he tore his knee up when he's playing overseas professionally. It's like, you do not have to worry about Joe Atkins. Like that dude is a hustler. He's he, going to be all right. Right. He's from, he's from Oklahoma city, John Marshall high school. And don't ever shoot dice with him. Cause you'll lose something. Ooh, right. Have some fun. Right. So, so <laughs> he'd be on one knee before the game, shooting dice, taking people's money, talking trash, go out, ball up, come home, drink a case of beer, hang out. Like, let's go do it again. Like he's just, but, uh, but he also he 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 understood all of the different working things that were going on in terms of people's psychology, in terms of discipline, in terms like he understood those things. So I don't know how to articulate it well enough, but I've always been blown away by how most athletes, not everybody, like there's some dudes like, yo, man, I don't care, I just want to go ball, right? But most guys understand all of these little things that are working on and and find a way 
to find their own lane and succeed in spite of or because of it. And I, I, that's it's one thing that I don't think we do a good enough job in covering sports and talking about. It's the type of environment you grow up in. You learn to navigate your way through that lifestyle. And the guys that are able to navigate through that, you learn so much from that. And that helps you on later in life if you're able to avoid going to jail. And you learn how to kind of just slither your way through things. And, and it helps in life. It, it really does. Yeah, so the old school school of hard knocks. He's DJ Shimizada. I'm Doug Gottlieb. This is the Dan Patrick Show here on Fox Sports Radio. I, I, want, I want to ask TJ about Kirk Cousins, who obviously struggled. There's the, the sideline argument with Adam Thielen and, and, and what they're actually discussing. We'll get into that, and we'll get into whether or not what, what Minnesota can do to fix their problems. That's upcoming next on the Dan Patrick Show. Doug Gottlieb, TJ Oshmanzada. This is the Dan Patrick Show here on Fox Sports Radio. Well, you made it. You made it to 2019. Well, this year ended. It ended. Now you get to start over. So just uh, collectively, it's like walking by the Xbox or back when we were kids and you'd have like a Nintendo. Just press reset. Start over. Your brother was whooping you at uh, double dribble. You just press reset and you're, you're, you're good. TJ Hushman's out it. Was that your game growing up? I was, I was double dribble. Double dribble. Double dribble. Yeah. Blades of Steel. Tecmo Bowl. All of those. Of course, the Super Mario Brothers. The Minnesota Vikings, um, look, we, we could get into Kirk Cousins being overpaid or Kirk Cousins. I've, I've had this discussion on my show, the Doug Gottlieb Show, which is 3 to 6 Eastern time on Fox Sports Radio, which is like, look, he was the only starting quarterback on the market, and he is productive. And because of it, that was his market value. He got actually below market value because the Jets offered him more. The problem was that they couldn't do anything with, with the Bears. But I'm watching them have I'm watching him have an argument with Adam Thielen, right? Where he's saying to Adam Thielen, "I don't have ten seconds to throw the football." What was that argument about? When I when I watched it, it, it looked like number one, and I don't think Kirk Cousins is overpaid. I don't think anybody is overpaid. You worth what they're willing to give you. Number right. one. But the argument was he wanted Adam Thielen to take a flat angle on the corner route. Adam Thielen took a high angle. And the premise on that is consistently, number one, I'm sure they've worked on this route numerous times. And routes on air, seven on seven in team, even in meetings. If I get man to man, more than likely, I'm going on a high angle. I'm scoring a touchdown. If the corner is over the top of me and it's man to man, I will come flat. Kirk Cousins threw the ball flat. Adam Thielen went high. I don't understand have you ha- how you have that type of miscommunication last game of the season. That's preseason, first game type of thing. But it's Not Cousins' that. fault, isn't it? Yes, because he man-to-man, you're going high angle. The rule is if I get man-to-man, I'm going high angle unless. Now, high, high angle for somebody who is they're, they're driving in their car or they're listening to us on the Dan Patrick Not show 90 out. degrees, more like 45 degrees. Right. If, if you're running a corner. Like a dead corner towards the end zone instead of. Uh, instead of basically an out route. De- yes. Depending on where you're at, more than likely, your angle is the front pylon. If you're within the 20, it's the back pylon. That That's the high angle. Now, and they were somewhat in the fringe red zone type of thing, so he would probably aim for the back pylon, and he'd be able to adjust to the ball if it was short. But when you throw it like it's going to be a 15-yard out, Thielen is like, bro, what are you doing? And 
what Kirk is saying, I don't have 10 seconds. That's why you throw the high angle. Right. Because you can just lay it up there. You have to take time if you're going to throw it flat because you're going to see where he's coming out at. That That's what I didn't get when he said, I don't have 10 seconds. Well, if you don't have 10 seconds, why didn't you throw the high angle? Because you can just lay that ball up there. Why wouldn't he? Why wouldn't he? What What is a possible reason why he wouldn't? That pressure. Yeah. That pressure was getting to him, and he he just panicked. He panicked, and it's and and that's and honestly, that's been kind of his mo, right? He's lost eighty four percent of his games versus teams with winning records. That's crazy. Eighty four percent of his games he's lost versus teams that have winning records. So he's built up his statistical that's, that's a tough, career that's, that's a on tu- losing that, teams. That's a, a that's a tough. It's it's the only Matthew Stafford, Stafford is worse. Right. It's it's a tough one to climb out of. Right. That's that's a tough. That's like Brett Brown trying to get back to five hundred as a as a coach or six hundred as a coach, considering how how it started out. Um, his, his best bet is the Vikings. They should draft offensive line this entire draft this year. Just just offensive linemen. Shore up that front so that you can protect him a little better. That that's all you can do. When you're a wide receiver and you you your quarterback has shown panic in those situations, can, can like it, how hard is it to buy into? No, no, Kirk's not panicking anymore, right? Because you still kind of have that seed play in the back of your head. If they shore up the offensive line, and any any quarterback is going to quote unquote panic when when you get constant pressure. But if they can shore up the offensive line. Obviously, he's not going to panic because he's going to have he's going to have a lot of time back there. Well, they got to fix it. All right, we'll see if they they fix it. He's TJ Schmazada. I'm Doug Gottlieb. Man, do we got a lot to get to, ton to get to. All right, the New Year's Six Bulls are going to get over, underway shortly. We'll discuss them. Plus, Adam Kramer is going to join us. We'll discuss the crazy week at Miami and uh, get you ready for January first Bowl Day. Happy New Year to you. TJ Smizada, Doug Gottlieb, Dan Patrick Show. The Dan Patrick Show, 12 years in and going strong. Happy (laughs) New Year. But we can always be better. I want you to be better. Listen to more Dan Patrick on the Dan Patrick Show app, for example. Or, here's a thought, don't miss it in the first place. I want you to grow. Maybe listening while working out. Another thing that you're not doing frequently enough. I never said Dan Patrick was fat. And finally, spend more money on Dan Patrick show apparel because... They want the money and they want the money now. Well, that's just a good decision any time of year. Get the DP Show app in the iTunes Store or Google Play now. Gottlieb, hello. This is what we're doing? You're on. that count. What'd you think the countdown was for? Somebody has to explain this to me. Oh, you oh, You probably thought it was New Year's theme. No, that was to let you know when you're on the air. Ugh. So we'll try again. Here's Doug Gottlieb and former Pro Bowl wide receiver TJ Hushmanzada. What up? Welcome in. This is the Dan Patrick Show, Fox Sports Radio. The Pro Bowler TJ Hushmanzada. I'm Doug Gottlieb. Welcoming in 2019 together. We were up early here on the best coast, getting ready for college football. 
January 1st, still good. You know, yesterday, Oregon 7-6 over Michigan State. Ugh. Uh, Mild moderate Oklahoma State had a 16-point lead. Tried to give it away. End up winning the, the Liberty Bowl. And people are like, hey, these are meaningless bowls. I I I gotta I gotta disagree. I've never played in a game that I didn't want to win, right? I've never been like, well, you know, we didn't we didn't win because we didn't want to. Like I've I've literally never. Have you ever played in a meaningless bowl? Or you played? I guess you played in the NFL. Whatever meaningless game to you? No. The, well, my first year at Oregon State, we played in the uh, Aloha Bowl in Hawaii. It was actually fun for me going to Hawaii. That's my first time in Hawaii, so I enjoyed it. But no, the all bowl games for the players, it's fun, man. It, it's different. You you get the you're in a city for about a week that you probably never been before, and it's a good experience. They're, the games are meaningless to the fans or the people that watch the games, but to the players, they're not meaningless at all. Um, today's the day where we think maybe I don't know we end this Central Florida. Back-to-back national champion, like made-up national champions. What's your, what's your feeling on the Central Florida thing? Well, I'm a de facto, I'm a adopted LSU alum now because my daughter goes to school there. So I think they're gonna get blown out today. At least that's my hope. Um, they, it's tougher. It if you're not a Power Five school, it's tough. You you don't get an opportunity to play the upper echelon teams, and when you do, it's a bowl game. For you, it's a big game. For them, they look at it as if, oh, man, we play in Central Florida. Why? And, and so that's the trap you you have to avoid. That's what happened last year with Auburn. Right. Oh, we're playing Central Florida. We're going to kill them. And they got their head rolled. And I'm sure Orgeron has told LSU, dude, do not underestimate. Because they're fast. They're fast. They're just as fast as LSU. They don't have the depth. At least you hope they don't. And, and so – they win this game, I'm impressed. If they beat LSU today, I'm going to be very impressed. Well, especially they'd be doing it with without Mackenzie Milton, right? With Daryl Mack as as their quarterback. Mackenzie Milton suffered that gruesome knee injury. So yes. it'd be one thing to beat LSU. It'd be, it's another thing to beat LSU with your backup quarterback. Yeah, and, and number, the backup quarterback, he has played well. When they, when they played Memphis in the conference championship, they beat them handily with Mackenzie Milton playing early in the year. They beat them by one point, I believe. And so the good thing with uh, LSU, their best corner, he won't be playing. Greedy Williams, the draft, he's not going to play. Yep. The, the trend nowadays. But Dave Aranda's is probably the best defensive coordinator in college football, him and Brent Venables. And so he's going to have a plan. They're LSU. They're, they got guys that are backups that are good enough to start at other schools. Yeah, that, that's really, and, and that's that's the part that it'd be, it's disingenuous, I think, for even Central Florida. I, I'm not saying Central Florida doesn't have, has some dudes up front and have some speed at, at skill positions, but it's if you go through. It's the depth. It, yeah, right? The depth, especially the defensive, like the, the difference in the SEC and all the other major conferences is the depth of athletes on that defensive line especially, right? That's the, the difference between the good schools and the great schools, the Alabamas, the Clemsons, the Georgias, Georgias, the LSUs, it's the depth on the offensive and defensive lines. That That's the difference. Skill, everybody has skill, guys. Everybody. It's the depth up front on both sides of the ball. What's happened to the Pac-12? Dude, it's terrible. Like, I, I've been saying this for years. 
SC should be Alabama West Coast every single year. They have to do a better job of developing players. They, you look at their recruiting class, they're getting a top 10 recruiting class every year minus this year. Why aren't their kids developing like Nick Saban is developing the kids at Alabama? That's coaching. That's being able to teach, not coach. All these coaches know X and O's. They can teach you, but can they, I mean, they can coach you, but can they teach you the game? Can they teach you how to understand what an offense is doing, the weakness in the defense, how they're going to attack you? That's the biggest difference. The Pac-12, oh, man. And every time they play, I root for them because that's the conference I played in. And it's disappointing. They just, they're not doing a great job teaching these kids and developing them. But there's also a difference in terms of the talent on the, uh, on the defensive lines, right? And even, to a lesser extent, offensive lines. Like it, does, it doesn't feel like they have the same, same look of guys on the defensive fronts that you're seeing in the SEC. They, they do look different. But at the end, we're all recruiting the same kid. We're yeah, but, all recruiting. Yeah, but, yeah, but is, are there those guys on the West Coast that there are in the South? Yeah, you look. You look at if I'm not mistaken, USC last year recruited one of the top O linemen from Missouri. He didn't even play. He didn't even play. Probably going to transfer. They're getting. They get good players every, and I always say SC because you, you don't even have to recruit at USC. The kids are coming. You select, you don't recruit. Yeah, you pick the kids you want. You just have to make sure you choose the right kid. And are they choosing the right kid? I don't know. I Kingsbury going there is going to help a lot because I know a lot of kids from the L.A. area are going to the SEC. Like the top-rated corner in the 2020 class just committed to LSU. He goes to modern day. He's going to LSU because he sees – there's no development. One of the top kids in the 2019 class that goes to St. John Bosco was committed to a USC, decommitted. Why? Guys that I looked up to that are at SC that I thought would be in the NFL, they don't seem to develop. That's what he said. And so SC needs to get it together, man, because football is better when you got a team in, on the West Coast in the I, Pac-12 that, that's competitive. Right, and, and look, that's the, the, the thing that I think – we can talk all we want about the college football playoff and the fact that there there were two not fairly non-competitive games, um, but the other part that's really hurting their ratings is the fact, you, like the West Coast. Why would I watch? There's no, I mean, uh, it's Clemson and Alabama every year now, right? <laughs> and that's great for them, right? Like, and that's it, a it, tribute it to like, Dabo. It, it becomes and, like NASCAR, though, where it's just it's a very becomes a regional sport. That's and that's what it's become, and, and so they have. They have to do a better job. They bet if SC doesn't get it together, they better watch out because Herm is gonna get it rolling at Arizona State. They're they're doing a really good job coming out here recruiting kids. If SC doesn't get it together, Arizona State will probably be along with Washington, that team in the Pac-12 and on the West Coast to look after. Noted that you did not talk about your old teammate, old quarterback at Oregon State. It's just gonna take do. some time. It's gonna take some time for Jonathan to kind of get the guys in there. It's gonna take some time, probably three to four years. Um, by the third year, we should be fairly competitive with everybody at Oregon State if, if he can continue to stay the course and get, get those guys to come in. And then you got tonight, you got Texas and Georgia. I, obviously, people are going to talk about Urban Meyer's last game um, as head coach part two, right? This is retirement part two. There might be a retirement part three. There might not. Like, I actually believe he's got some major, major health issues. And 
it would be it would be different to retire uh, to to come out of retirement a second time. You think he's done? Yeah, he, Urban Meyer. You watch these games, dude goes crazy on the sideline. <laughs> Man, Urban Meyer is a fool on the sideline. He really he's into the game as you want a coach to be, and for him. His body just can't take it because Nick Saban goes crazy on the sideline too, and he's a lot older than Urban Meyer, and he's able to he's able to go crazy, calm himself down. And Urban Meyer, he just doesn't seem to be able to do that. Um, he's made a ton of money. He's still going to be connected to the game of football, just not in a head coaching capacity. He's probably done. You don't want to lose your life over something you've done your entire life, especially when I, this is like it's like the Calvin Johnson thing. Like I think you'll see more guys in the NFL where you have. You have so much money that you've made now that even if you really want to play like... You know what, though? Like me, personally, and I, I didn't make Calvin Johnson money, and it could be because I didn't play a lot of football growing up. Dude, like, I love football. Like, I enjoyed practice for the most part. I enjoyed working out to get ready for the season. Like, I would have never been one of those guys like, oh, I got $100 million. I'm tired of it. I love no, to no, compete. No, I, I, and, and I think that's... and that, that's the, Those are the guys that I... I but I, it is interesting. That, that you Did you not play football at all until high school, your senior year? I played one year of Pop Warner, but it was more so I didn't, I wasn't able to make it all the time. So it was just my senior year, and that could be why my love for the game is so deep. Like that's all I do. I read all sports. I watch it, and it could be. I wasn't forced to play it at a young age. That that's that's why I enjoy it so much. Fascinating stuff. T.J. Hushman's out of the uh, former Pro Bowler joining us here. I'm I'm Doug Gottlieb. This is the Dan Patrick Show. Adam Kramer is going to join uh, join us up coming next. We'll talk about the New Year's Six. We'll talk about Miami and the crazy situation where they they get blown out in a bowl game by Wisconsin. Wisconsin just thumped them. Uh, Manny Diaz was their defensive coordinator who took the Temple job, coached him in the bowl game, then leaves. Leaves a nice note and leaves for Temple. He had taken the, the the job previously. Mark Rick then retires two nights ago, and in, in like two hours, all of a sudden, Manny Diaz leaves Temple. I'll tell you why. I actually have no zero problem with the Manny Diaz or the guys saying well, the recruits and whatever. We'll get to that with Adam Kramer. Plus, um, what about Adam Meyer? Is this in fact his last game ever? And this time, we mean it. Or is he going to be like Sugar Ray Leonard and come out of retirement 15 times over? We'll talk to him up coming next with T.J. Hushmanzada. I'm Doug Gottlieb. This is the Dan Patrick Show. Doug Gottlieb, T.J. Hushmanzada in for Dan and the Danettes here on 1st of January. Getting ready for... Is that what they call it? The Danettes? That's what they call those guys, the Danettes. Dan wow. Danettes. Yeah. Dan Patrick got it going for real. Well, I mean, like, look, what's crazy is you and I have known each other, I would say... In the 12, 13-year kind of variety, right? That's when you were with the Bengals. When we first had you on when I was over at the other place. And uh, I would fill in for Dan back then, and those guys were just the kind of the show staff. When he left and he created his TV show along with his radio show, they became the Danettes. They kind of, you know, had their own little thing. That's when you know you arrived. Like, I've known Polly and Fritzy and all those guys forever. They used to just be Polly and Fritzy. Well, they're still Polly and Fritzy, but now just like in group, the, the they're called the Danettes. Got their own thing going. They got their own. They make their own side money. You know, they got their own time on the TV show. <laughs> it's good to be the. It's good to be the Danettes. TJ Osmanzada is a former Pro Bowler. I'm Doug Gottlieb, and uh, let, let's talk some college football with Adam Kramer, college football uh, uh, writer for Bleacher Report. And 
Adam, it feels like it feels like a day in which either is going to end with Central Florida puffing out their chest, printing some more shirts, or or unfortunately, the end of an a really incredible run of two undefeated seasons. What do you think happens at the end of the day? It's a great question, man, and and, and you're exactly right in terms of like narrative. This is like the narrative bowl. Um, it's it's a little different. Obviously, without Mackenzie Milton in there, I would have loved to have seen that. I would have loved to have seen, uh, you know, LSU's roster at full guys staying here for you know for this game to see exactly what where we stand. Um, I think Central Florida will make a game of this thing because that's what they tend to do. But in terms of you know physically, like this is a they are overmatched here. Of course they are. They, they deal, you know LSU is is basically that team, uh, with the exception of Alabama, a handful of others. In just terms of you know physically, when you you know size these guys up in the beauty contest, but um, I think they'll keep it close, and I think they'll make it interesting enough where maybe we won't have a parade afterwards like we talked about doing last year. But they'll keep themselves in the conversation a little while longer, which some will love and, and some probably won't love. Now let, let, let's we we talked we touched on this earlier, and uh, you're you're you know more of this field than we do. What is going on with the Pac-12 and just West Coast college football in general? Well, geographically speaking, right, like the vast majority of the most talented players in the country just do not originate from there. That's like that. That's your. We start there. Um, You've had major issues with some of your major brands. I was reading this morning, you know, UCLA paying $15 million to both of their coaches uh, in terms of buyouts. Uh, USC has just been underwhelming now for quite some time. It felt like they might break through, through a few years ago with Sam Darnold. They haven't. Washington, um, I guess, can do a little bit today to take down Ohio State or at least be competitive, but that's where we are. I, I think you've had – you see – in a lot of instances with the Big Ten, the Big Ten has had a really handful of great hires. The SEC has had a handful of really good hires from Florida to Kentucky to major programs as well. As well, I think a lot of this boils down to, A, the talent pool. Uh, you're not attracting the best players in the country, and you're not attracting the best coaches in the country. So in some ways, it's pretty simple. And I think you're seeing a, a watered-down product as a result of that. I, I also think it, it would be fair to say, like, look, when you do, and you have coaching turnover, um, especially now, you're, you're losing recruiting classes, you're losing players, guys leave, yep. and so it it does take time to build. And when you look at Arizona and Arizona State, uh, Oregon, this is you know the Cristobal's coming back, so this, but this is their third head coach in three years there, right? And then you, yep. and then you got you know Cal's had coaching turnover as well. USC has been a turnstile. And, it, you know, they've had to obviously change staffs, but they went through several head coaches in several years and then interim head coaches. I mean, really, a, a lot. And while I agree with you that Oregon and Washington don't produce players, there's players in Vegas and there's plenty of players in Northern and Southern California. I I, I, I think it's getting the right players to stay home. And then the my question is, you know, why does Southern California not produce defensive linemen the way the South does? They produce every other thing and, and quarterbacks at a, at a rate exponentially higher than just about any other place. No, you're exactly right. It is not necessarily one big thing. And by the way, Oregon in this recruiting cycle has done a wonderful job. They've landed 
arguably the best player in the country under Cristobal, who's there, who's in there and, and really shook things up. And, and maybe that this is the time where they can kind of turn it forward. I just think collectively these things kind of lean on each other, and it's not you can't diagnose it one different thing. You mentioned kind of the coaching turnover. That is the case. You look at the vast majority of the new hires here, some of which were in that conference. Um, it did not go particularly well, with the exception of maybe Florida, who did a pretty good job under Mullen in year one. Um, but, but yeah, it, and it, and I also think a lot of this stuff, um, you know, leadership from the conference-wide, you're talking about people buying a stake in the Pac-12, and I know that's not necessarily an impact on the direct results in the team, but the reputation has certainly taken some shots in the last few years, which I think impacts all of this, by the way. It impacts these coaching um, vacancies becoming less desirable. It certainly resonates down to the kids who have to decide, do I want to go there or not? So, yeah, it, it's not necessarily one thing, but it seems like slowly but surely it's impacting the full capacity of the Pac-12 and the way that, that these programs operate. Now, I, I've been my, – my daughter's a freshman at LSU. I've been in the uh, LSU locker room. I, I've been in the Auburn locker room. Could it be the facilities in the South, in the SEC, when these kids take these recruiting ships, do they just get wowed when, when they go to these different parts of the country? And then I've been in the, uh, I haven't been in USC's locker room, but I've been in UCLA's locker room, and you compare that to the two locker rooms that I just mentioned, well, just, and it's just, no comparison. The yeah. facilities are night and day different. Think, Adam, I don't even think, like, our facilities part of it? Like, look, my, my brother's an assistant coach at Oregon State, but he was at, he was at Cal at the time – when they talked about incorporating the Big 12 in the Pac-12, when the last conference expansion, right? And he was like, look, we're in the Pac-12. We don't want that to happen. He goes, not only facilities, but like people legit care. And it's like, you know, Stanford's an incredible school, but they don't really, they don't show up for football. They don't, they don't care, right? They don't, UCLA, they care. Yeah, but the camp, the, the stadium's an hour from campus. You might get 60,000. It's a 90,000 seat place. So they care. Yeah, they now they care at SC, Care about everything at USC, but the rest of the league, there is a lack of give a you know what factor, whether it's facilities or whether it's attendance or whether it's just buzz in some of these major cities. That that's got to at least play a, a part of it. Yeah, and outside of Oregon, which is like uh, you know from the future. I mean, that's a beautiful facility, right? You could stack that up with every facility in the country, basically. Um, I think that plays a role. I just think the level of urgency. The level level of care, the everything else, I mean, just kind of snowballs into this, and and so with the struggles, like you look at it, and, and this is the point, by the way, in the college football season, where we start to look at, okay, we've got one game left. What is this going to look like next year? It's not going to look any different, is it? Do you think UCLA is all going to all of a sudden going to find itself? Is Arizona State going to find itself under Herm? Washington should be fine. Uh, is is Cliff Kingsbury going to save USC with a young quarterback? They could be better. But like, what, what, how will this be any different next year? And I don't mean that as like a, a negative. It's just to me, it's kind of the reality, right? It's like, where is that spark going to come from? It could come from Oregon, right? You're getting the top quarterback back next year, which is a big deal. You've got a recruiting class. You were pretty good this year. But are you going to be good enough to make the playoff? To me, that's kind of what it boils down to in the playoff era, right, is how many, how many opportunities do you have? How many teams in the Pac-12 entering next season do you think have a logistic, like a realistic shot of cracking this playoff? And the answer is not many. If yeah. maybe one or two teams. Yeah, it's gonna be gonna be fascinating, especially Oregon opens the season in Dallas against Auburn. So uh, th- those, but let, let's 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 not get ahead of ourselves. Let's get to some of the <laughs> some of the news. Uh, the news of the day is Dana Holgerson leaves West Virginia and goes to Houston. 
Now, look, the the one thing about Houston is everybody says the players. It's not just the players. It's in that league, there's a couple of teams where you have Central Florida, for example. You're just at a geographic advantage to anybody else in that league, right? I mean, and, and a facilities advantage to anybody else in that league. But he's in the Big 12 and doing well at West Virginia. But there was a lot of talk of him potentially getting out. What went wrong between Dana Holgerson and West Virginia? I mean, the last two years, every job that came open, it felt like his name was floated for. You know what I mean? Like, you can kind of start to sense the uneasiness uh, on both sides when each job, and, and really it felt like he might leave last year or might be told to leave last year. Like, that felt like it was going to be the decision point. This is really a coach restarting his coaching clock, and you guys know exactly what that is. It's what Gus Malzahn should have done last year in leaving for Arkansas. You go to a school where you're going to make $4 million a year in a group of five conference in a, in a really um, great football city, in a place where the expectations are pretty reasonable, albeit a, a little bit different than they were, say, five, six years ago because they got rid of Major Applewhite. Um, he's going to be expected to win, but you can start over here. It didn't feel like this was going in a particularly great place at West Virginia. They've had some really good talent come through there. They've had, they had a great year this year, and, of course, it just kind of ends – with a thud, um, they lose a lot of really good players. So if I'm Dana Holgerson, strictly from his vantage point, I say, hey, we, we pro- I probably did as good as I'm going to do here, and if I have a down year next year looking at my roster, it's pretty possible. What, what's my status with the program going to look like? That, that, to me, is the simplest reality of this move. I can go to a new place. I can start fresh. And, oh, by the way, have a $20 million contract, and if I do well, I could probably catapult this into another big job. And I, I think that's just the reality of, on, on Dana's standpoint. With the college football uh, playoff, with four, having four teams, and, and now there's talk of expanding to eight teams. Number one, are you in favor of that? And number two, what happens to the when I was playing the BCS bowl games, New Year Day bowl the, games, the, the other bowls, and, yeah, and such? What what happens? Well, I I am in favor of it, and I think the bowl season, as we know, it will exist in some capacity, um, no matter what we do. It's very important to like the fabric of the sport. And if you're going to do something as radical as an 18 playoff, and I, I think ultimately we're going to get there, um, I still think you want to keep those in place. They are fine, by the way. They're entertainment on TV. You don't have to watch them. I think the vast majority of the people out there maybe check in now and then, for the most part, leading up to like December 29th, and then games start to get good. Um, today's a great day of games where, where you'll attract a new audience. But I, I still think no matter what, uh, whether you have automatic times or however you label a new postseason, I think we're moving closer to that. Um, you're still going to have the bowl season. It may be different. You may do less games. You're certainly going to have to move the calendar around, which they've done a little bit already, as you guys know, with the, the four-team playoff. With eight teams, you'd have to do that even more. But I still think you're, you're going to have a bowl season no matter where we go. I just, I don't know. And, and again, I don't want to be prisoner of the moment, but you watch the two semifinals, you're like, we all knew Clemson and Alabama are better than everybody else. Now all of a sudden everybody knows Clemson, Alabama. Like, do we do we need more? Do we really need more teams? Do we really need more games? Notre Dame shouldn't have been in. They okay, they they struggled. Like, they struggled to beat USC last game of the season. I said Clemson's going to roll them. No, I understand. Like, look, I would I would put. I, I thought Georgia was one of the four best teams, but they did lose two games, and people get caught up with numbers as opposed to who you actually played, right? Um, I mean, that said, like, do we really need? Do we need more teams? Do we need more games? You know, in this year, no. I mean, in the last few years, maybe not. I mean, you've had clubs in Alabama three out of four years. It tells you your your system's doing just fine. Uh, again, it's not necessarily – I think with college football, too, 
part of the reason I'd want eight is I, I, conference playoff, conference championship weekend to me has become just a, a very weird, mutated version of it once was. And winning your conference is such a less priority now versus making the playoff. And if you don't have a chance to do that, then your game is deemed insignificant. In some ways, it kind of is. That's just we're sort of NFLizing college football. I don't mean that as a negative, but you, there's a lot of the interest right now is big picture. Do you have a chance to win it or not? Which goes away from the college football norms. I would just attach that playoff spot, of course, to the conference championships. You have three at large. This is pretty much the going uh, methodology in terms of if you're going to expand to eight. I, I don't know. Well, so, so what you're saying is yeah. you win your conference championship, you automatically get a, a, a yep. spot, and then you have three at largest. I, I actually think that should be it should be six. That way would be better than eight. Uh, then well, then you know then, then you maybe you get two buys right, and then you have good games finally, what, which we're looking for. I don't think I've been to a good semifinal game yet, by the way, which is which is concerning if you're college football. Yeah, I, I but my, my my the other issue that that people talk about is that they don't realize is. You get to if you add another add another round, you get to sixteen games with some of these teams, and you're just these kids, they're going to get beat up, and you're going to have backups playing, and you won't have who these teams truly are. Whereas now, you know, you get a, a month off before the semifinals, and then you get like a week and a half before you play in the championship game most times, and so at least you have most of the same players, but you add another game there, and you're also asking a lot of a fan to to make a trek to three games instead of making it to two games. Well. Two, two ways you could do this. One is, I think, an easy solution. That's play that first round of games on college campuses, which yeah, I would then, love to then do. You're kill, then, you're, then you're killing the Bulls. Um, I, I don't necessarily think so. Your Bulls are your Bulls. They're going to, I mean, you see the crowds now. <laughs> There's a smattering of people there. I, I mean, that is what it is. Like, yeah, but there, will, there will be a smattering of people. There will be a smattering of people at the Sugar. Or at, or at, there wasn't a smattering of people at the Cotton. There wasn't a smattering of people at the, no, the no, Rose no. Bowl. But the big, the big bowl games, games have attendance. It, it's the lower level ones. That yes, have. right, right. But but, but if you but if you thing. if you just if you add playoff games, like now you're you're I mean you're really what do you do what are you doing with the who plays in the Rose Bowl if it's not on the if it's not a, on, in the rotation? No, you can you basically have a, a front line of games like a first round of games. So here's the other part of this equation that they'll never do, which is getting rid of the conference championship weekend entirely and just awarding people who they could win their conference right i mean you had more people watch the sec championship game this year than the playoff game that that's a remarkable thing it's not necessarily good for the overall value of your postseason i i think you had the point you bring up which is really interesting you'd have to manipulate the schedule some you don't necessarily want to add more games for these kids you'd really want to take something away uh, for some of these conferences that could be a you know a week one game that, that just doesn't matter we know these games but, exist but, these cupcake games right right but again like and and just for people and adam i know you know this adam kramer yeah. joining us college football writer for bleach report i'm doug gottlieb along with tj hushmanzada this is the dan patrick show like there are people like well why don't you eliminate those games well first of all there's 120 what 128 division one teams so you're eliminating that that's it's a, it's a ridiculous amount of money made, not just by each of the football programs, but also the towns, like college towns. They, they're built on the six or seven home games at the, all the hotels. All, everything is built upon those home games. You take those away you know, for all of the teams, just so, you know, four teams can have an additional home game. Like that's not, it's not ever, ha- I'm just telling you, 
that the buy games that everybody thinks could very easily go away, those are not going away because it's not just the business of sport, but the business of a college town and, and the business of other athletic departments depend on. It. Uh, I mean, this is, yeah, you could stretch it into Savannah state's existence. You yes. Know, is, I, I get it. You know what I mean? Like I get that the point, if you want to make it eight teams, you can figure out a way the calendar I think is your biggest obstacle um, and, and also you don't want these, I think my biggest concern would be just these kids playing more football. Like with, that is the biggest problem. But if you wanted to change the postseason, I don't think you have to do it. And again, I know the recency bias says like, Hey, you've got two teams that do it. Like we, we can't do that because we know that's not going to be the case forever. Um, there's going to be years and there hasn't been many truthfully. I mean, the, the playoff as now, as of now has been pretty clean. There's been little controversy. What you had Ohio state in year one, blast Wisconsin the Big Ten Championship game and, and get in over a TCU team that looked really, really good. Um, you know, you had Alabama get in as not w- without winning its conference and then win the whole darn thing. Right. So I think ultimately it's fine as is, um, but it does feel like as of now it's missing something, whether that's two teams or four teams or just more interesting football, that, that's what we'll have to find out. Uh, the Manny Diaz thing where he is the D.C., <laughs> he leaves and takes the Temple job, and he comes back. I mean, the one thing that jumps out at me is like, has anybody figured out that Mark Rick probably didn't retire, right? That, it, that it, uh, like, didn't he get he he got fired, right? I mean, then that then or maybe Manny not, Diaz would have known he's going to retire, right? He would he, he wouldn't have left for Temple. Like something happened there where he Manny went from taking a Temple job, which seemed like an odd fit, to oh hey, uh, by the way, I'm retiring. Why don't you come back home? One of the strangest. Situations surrounding surrounding coaching, you know, hire, fire, retire, whatever you want to call it. Um, Man Diaz was there for like a week, right? Temple gets four million dollars, I believe. Like six, the, I mean, six and a half. They get they get six and a half because they paid well, they paid two and a half for the offensive <laughs> coordinator, and so they get six. Like, listen, and people are like, "Oh, Temple got screwed in this thing." No, they didn't. Like, dude, they're they're gonna hire they're gonna hire a new head coach, and Manny Diaz is gonna pay for it. Six and a half million dollars. That's a whole staff at Temple. Yeah, exactly. That money is meaningful there. I, I'm curious what happened. I, you know, I, I think ultimately Mark Rick looks at what is facing him. This Miami situation is much better off than it was before he arrived. They were a mess. Um, but next year, you've got your best playmaker transferring to Illinois. You've got one of your other offensive players um, deciding like he doesn't want to be here. Your defense was really, really good offensively, though. The quarterback position has kind of been. Um, a quandary that they were not able to solve. And again, there's no immediate help in sight. If I'm Mark Rick, I just look at that and say, am, am I able to do this? Like, I, I watched that bowl game too, right? I, I mean, you watched that game and you thought, this probably isn't going to go great next year or the year after. They're not recruiting that well. So maybe that's the case. You know, I haven't heard any different. Like, he was, you know, pushed out of there or anything else. But um, yeah, Mark Rick, I, I think at this point, Golf sounds good. After watching that bowl game, if I'm him, I, I would think the golf course would be a pretty good release for me. Man, he got beaten into retirement. They got beaten down so bad. He got beaten into retirement. That sounds like a like like a boxer. Um, all, all right, uh, let's kind of go through these really really quick with Adam Kramer, um, UCF with a backup quarterback against LSU. Who wins? LSU, but it'll be tight. Basically, I, I say UCF covers, but I think they'll they'll give a good shot at this one. More points than people expect. Um, Washington, Ohio State, in what we're told is Urban Meyer's last game. <laughs> yeah, we'll see. Um, I actually like Washington. Uh, wow. I think this is a fun 
schematically interesting game. I can't wait to watch Washington's secondary, who can actually actually cover people, uh, try and cover those those Ohio State wideouts. This should be a good one. I will say this about Ohio State: like they have a lot of dudes that it, it felt like when they wanted to play, they could really play. But there were also plenty of games where you're like, eh, eh. Washington has done a great job of developing the kids they get. Great job under Chris Peterson. Yeah, I'm. I'm not sure. I'm not. I'm not a big Jake Browning guy. I. I kind of feel like he was. He was so good early because they had been so bad, and I. I. I feel like he kind of got exposed a little bit. We'll see against that Ohio State defensive front where if they play right, if those dudes play, like they can. They can get out defensively. You. Like like he said, UW secondary is pretty good. Pretty um, good. All right, last one. Texas, who are they back? Are they not back against Georgia? Who we all think, I, I think you know, if you really lined up the four teams, should have been in in the playoffs. Uh, but but this is it's a fascinating game. Texas have a shot. I think they have a shot. Yeah, I, I mean, does Georgia want to be there? Probably they're without a, you know a really good player in their secondary. Um, I think Georgia wins. I think Texas probably keeps it close enough to cover that line. Clemson, Alabama. Who do you like? I like Alabama, but barely. I mean, it's going to be fun. Two two great quarterbacks. I, I was at the uh, Cotton Bowl. I thought Trevor Lawrence. I mean, Trevor Lawrence is that dude. I mean, he looks the part. Um, and and Clemson will not be scared of this game clearly. But I still think Alabama, if if possible, they look disinterested in a playoff game. They look. Well, like, they're they're twenty eight to nothing. That thing was over. Think, Everybody was disinterested. I mean, they, we were trying to make that game a lot more interesting than it actually was, which is what we do. But I like Alabama, although I think will, will the sub- suspended players be able to play for Clemson? I don't think so. No, I don't think so. I, I, I think that's um, I, I, a long shot at best, to be quite honest right now, which is a big deal. I mean, that's a 345-pound man in the middle of your defense that you're not going to have against a, a really, really good offensive line. Adam Kramer, college football writer and a good one from Bleach Report. Uh, follow him on Twitter, at Kegs and Eggs. Adam, thanks so much for joining us, and Happy New Year to you. You too, guys. Take care. Uh, coming, coming up next, TJ, we'll get into this Antonio Brown deal and what you do if you're the Pittsburgh Steelers, and why TJ believes that Antonio Brown should do everything in his power to stay where he is with the Steelers. We'll explain next on the Dan Patrick Show. Happy New Year to you. Doug Gottlieb, TJ Hushmanzada. This is the Dan Patrick Show. First of January, 2019. TJ Antonio Brown, obviously, is uh, somebody whose name is very much in the news. As uh, the story goes, he and Ben got into it midweek last week. He threw a football at Ben Roethlisberger, left practice, doesn't return, doesn't return calls or text, no shows on walkthrough on Saturday, shows up Sunday like he was ready to play, and they, they didn't let him dress. They made it out like he had some sort of knee injury. He was, in fact, a healthy scratch. So now there's, like, look, you've seen, you, you played in college you played professionally with Chad Johnson. Obviously, there's a connection to both being South Florida guys. How similar is this to, to how Chad used to act? Uh, from what is being reported, very similar. Very similar. Now, what about as players? Because here's what I was told about, about Chad Johnson. It's like, look, the reason it didn't work in New England was because, I mean, in addition to a couple times, you know, covering up the tight end and his alignment not being right, like, look, he was like a, a freelancer. He just he he he'd do what he thought that he could do, and he was a freak talent. But Tom wants you to be exactly where you're supposed to be, so so that when he gets up to the line of scrimmage, 
uh, he knows who's open and where they're going to be open and when they're going to be open, and that's ultimately why it didn't why it didn't work for him. Uh, how how accurate is that in terms of the breakdown of kind of what made him as a player? That that's a pretty good assessment. You know, Chad had been in Cincy his whole career, and, and you get used to running your routes a certain way, doing things a certain way, and it's hard to change that within an off season. I. It's hard, you know. the The coaches got used to him doing things a certain way. Carson got used to his body movements and him running routes a certain way. And then you go to another team and they weren't want things done their way. And now you're saying, "I've been doing this for ten years. Now I have to change." And he just wasn't able to do it. Okay, so um, can can a relationship be fixed? Like, if you haven't held Antonio Brown accountable enough through his career where he knows he can't behave this way, especially in a must-win game. And he's been rewarded with a huge contract. It's not like they haven't financially rewarded him. And how, how do you fix it if you're the Steelers? You have to sit him down, Tomlin, Ben, and A.B., and just try to figure out what is going on. You know it was a problem when Big Ben came out and said, I wish I had thrown the ball all four times to Juju. And... That didn't sit well with Antonio Brown. It, it just and the team, the team, by the way, uh, set, uh, awarded uh, Juju Smith-Schuster their team MVP because he's a he's an easygoing dude. He just he's young. He just wants to have fun, and he he's not putting his ego. He's his ego is not at the forefront. He's just playing football and having fun, and and they see that the guys he's infectious. The guys on the team want to be around him, and. Big Ben and Antonio, they got to fix this because Big Ben, you saw that game with the Bengals. It wasn't him. The Bengals been struggling defensively, and Ben didn't have a Big Ben game without Antonio Brown. So they need to figure out a way to make it work because they need each other. They, they, they do need each other. But if you're Antonio Brown, do you need the Steelers? Or are you like sitting there going like, you know what, I'll just go somewhere else? Antonio Brown thinks what you just said. I'll go somewhere else and show you. But it's not I, – I would be – I'm of the opinion – when you've been on a team for at least eight years as a receiver, you should just try everything in your power to stay and finish. Number one, the coaches know you very well. They know your positives, your negatives, what you do well, what you don't do well. And the same with Ben. You go to another team, they're not they're not going to put up with certain things just because maybe they're not used to it. You're not going to get 15 targets a game like you're used to, so that's going to create a problem because you're used to being targeted so often and you go to a team and they don't target you as much, you're going to be upset about that. And so stay where you're at if you can and find a way to make it work because when you go to that other side, it's the unknown, and a lot of times that unknown isn't what you want to be in. That's it, Honestly, it's not that different than in business. It just isn't. But you don't. You know, it, I, it's, it, a lot of that's it's not that different in terms of in marriage, right? When, when, Dudes, do you get married for a while and you're like, you know, you you take for granted the fact that the other that your your spouse puts up with all your idiosyncrasies because that's just kind of who you dude, are, dude. And you don't you don't realize like when I I went to Seattle, I left Cincinnati and went to Seattle, and I could remember running routes a certain way. And Greg Knapp was the offensive coordinator, and he was like, I don't want you to run a route like that. I want you to run it like this. And in my mind, I was like, this is the better way to run a route. Like, I've been taught this my entire life, not just in Cincinnati, by my trainer. Anytime you run a route, you come downhill, you don't run out. You run out, they can undercut you. I come downhill, they can't undercut you. And he didn't want me to come down. 
And I was like, I don't agree with that. And so I did it my way. But he wanted it another way. And I didn't agree. I didn't think his way was the best way. Little things like that, that happens. And it's it's minor. But it isn't minor because we both see things differently. And I've had success doing it my way. And he's had success doing it his way. And you, you just don't. You want to avoid that if you can. Which, which is why. Now, the one caveat to that is if you can go somewhere where you got a rabbi in the room, you got somebody who you've worked with before who knows all, you know, like if your wide receivers coach was in Seattle and so he's like, look, you do it your way here because and he knows how you operate. Like your position coach is somewhere else. Sometimes that can, that's why a lot of guys follow their position coaches when they sign with a new team. Then that, and that's why coaches want their players is because you know how I operate. You know how I want things. Now, you show the other guys on the team because you know how I want it. So that's less coaching and teaching that I have to do because you can help me on that front as well. Best best guess. Look, they, the Le'Veon thing, I think, obviously screwed him up. Um, the, the defensive backfield needs some help. The offensive line wasn't the greatest in the world. The play calling, too pass heavy. They, they didn't just run run the football. If, if, if they were to call you in and say, hey, look, we want you to analyze this thing, can those three coexist for another year and get back to the playoffs? Oh, most definitely. Offensive line, if, if they run the ball more, I actually think their O-line is pretty good. Ben holds the ball a lot because he gets extra yards, but can they coexist? 100% they can make it work. All right, that's TJ Hushman's out. I'm Doug Gottlieb. We got one more hour of the Dan Patrick Show. Charles Davis is going to join us. We'll get you ready for bowl season. Is it better now than it used to be? Probably not. We'll discuss next on the Dan Patrick Show. Fox Sports Radio. The Dan Patrick Show. 12 years in and going strong. Happy New Year. (laughs) But we can always be better. I want you to be better. Listen to more Dan Patrick on the Dan Patrick Show app, for example. Or, here's a thought, don't miss it in the first place. I want you to grow. Maybe listening while working out. Another thing that you're not doing frequently enough. I never said Dan Patrick was fat. And finally, spend more money on Dan Patrick show apparel because... They want the money and they want the money now. Well, that's just a good decision any time of year. Get the DP Show app in the iTunes Store or Google Play now. Gottlieb, hello. This is what we're doing? You're on. that count. What'd you think the countdown was for? Somebody has to explain this to me. Oh, you oh, You probably thought it was New Year's theme. No, that was to let you know when you're on the air. Ugh. So we'll try again. Here's Doug Gottlieb and former Pro Bowl wide receiver TJ Hushmanzada. What up? Happy New Year to you. Live from Los Angeles, this is the Dan Patrick Show. On Fox Sports Radio. You know, there's there's things that we in sports like that people who don't like sports don't really get into. I'm going to just tell you right now. I am so glad that I am not into the Rose Bowl Parade. They've been preparing for this Rose Bowl for a while. The parade. I'm not into it either. It, it And it's cold out. 
considering it's, for us. L- listen, here's it's actually it, it's I think it's cold for just about anywhere today, right? It's cold. Uh, I don't, does anybody know who's singing? Who is who that is? Who that little dude is? Singing? I thought it was a Jonas Brother, but I don't think it is. I don't think it's a Jonas Brother, uh, but apparently they have Rose Bowl dancers. Who knew? Right for the the kickoff of the uh, of the uh, the tournament of roses parade, but like these people stayed up all night. I watched got up super last early night. Morning. People were on the corner with heaters and blankets and couches and just getting their spot ready to go. It's a tradition for the people that live in Pasadena. They really look forward to this. Now, look, um, I, I'll also point out that in terms of w- would you rather would you rather stay up all night. For the Rose Bowl parade, or go to the uh, the dropping of the the ball in New York City. I don't know if you watched that last night. Just down a deluge, downpour it's of rain. Too cold. It's too cold and raining. And it's raining. I and didn't. It's raining. For, I was and there's, that and last there's a ton night. of people around. I said that last like, night. Which what one is of the, wrong what, with these people? Seriously, what? I don't care how much is on your bucket list. That's like one of those things where if you're in a hotel in New York, and they're like, man, I spent all this money. It's on my bucket list. I want to go to watch the ball drop. And then you're like, it's cold, it's raining outside, there's people everywhere. I'm not doing that. I'm just getting into bed and watching it. Well, you're like me. That's what I would have done. Because it seemed like it was really cold in New York. It was really cold. I mean, Ryan, um, uh, Ryan um, Seacrest. Seacrest. I mean, he was just like, he was soaked. Don't, I mean, don't worry. He's going to wipe his tears with $100 bills, right? But but that, that one, okay, so would you rather, would you rather sit outside in the cold of Pasadena and watch the Tournament of Roses parade, but you got to stay up all night and stay till the end of the parade or three hours in a downpour full of uh, crowds of people in New York City. Man, I'd probably do the crowds of people in New York City. Really? I'd rather do yeah. Rose Bowl, I think. you got to stay up all night through it. It's cold. It is cold. And you're bored. At least if I'm in New York City, the, I won't be bored. It, it's I'll have something to do. Fair point. I can put something on. That will keep me warm and dry, but and it's a lot of people around, so it's a lot of body heat. It, it shouldn't be as bad, but stand up. I all don't night feel like the body heat this. thing works in the in the cold and the rain. It's almost like rain uh, stops the conduction of body heat. That's what it feels like to me. Man, did you see everybody had those little plastic covers on? Yeah, that just if you have to have a plastic cover on your body, <laughs> you should not be outside. Yeah, imagine the women that got really cute. And dressed up, and oh. now you got to pull a plastic cover on it. Right, got some red bottoms. <laughs> they bought some red bottoms just for that night. They go out to a wonderful dinner, and they're like, "All right, now let's go watch the ball drop. Let's cover ourselves up with some with some plastic." Anyway, Rose Bowl parade is underway. Uh, we got a big day of college football. We'll cover it. We'll preview it. Charles Davis is going to join us. Of course, Charles covers both college and the NFL for Fox. With his thoughts on on some of these coaching changes and uh, coaching firings in the National Football League, what it means, and of course. We have Wild Card Weekend, which is upon us. We got the, the the Dana Holgerson story, which is interesting. Leaves West Virginia to go transfer to Houston. We have the Antonio Brown story, where apparently he was a healthy scratch last week because he got into a verbal kerfuffle with his quarterback, Ben Roethlisberger, threw a football at Ben Roethlisberger, and then uh, no show to practice, shows up game day expecting to play, and they sit him down. So we got all of those all of those things working. And yeah, we got a little hoop as well to talk about. I want to get into something that that you and I haven't discussed, which is the reemergence of Andrew Luck. Were you an Andrew Luck guy before the season? I mean, I, I like Andrew Luck. He's a good quarterback. 
Um, I followed Andrew. It feels like there's a butt there. No, 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 no butt. He he just hasn't had the butt is if you, you look at the quarterbacks that over the course of history the NFL have done well, they've always had really good pieces around them. He has T.Y. Hilton, but outside of that, he hasn't had that complement the running game, the offensive line, um, to help him out, or even a defense for that matter. And, and so it was – I was curious as to how he would come back from the injury missing the entire year, especially with your throwing shoulder. And he didn't start off great, and the team didn't start off great, but, man, they're rolling. Yeah. And you you think about the, that team and how young they are and how well they're playing, it, it's only going to get better for them. Yeah, and so they get to go into Houston, a place where they've won, and a team that they feel like they got to feel like them. Even when they weren't playing well, neither team was playing well. They should have at least tied at home. Instead, they went for it. How crazy is that? That when they're on their own forty-three yard line, and I said it the very next day, I thought it was a mistake. I, I'm like, you know, everybody has this like negative image of tying, but when when you're you're they wouldn't have won by getting a first down. They simply would have gotten a first down by getting a first down. Tying was not a bad thing, and had they tied, they would have home field this weekend. Yeah, I would rather tie than lose. Yes, but but that's not that's not the way they look at it. But they, that that it was weird when that happened, and after that they started to play better. Yes, it, it's it's crazy how that works. Um, oh, we're, we're not playing to lose; we're playing to win. They they don't say we're playing to tie, and nobody plays a tie. But you'd rather tie than lose, and and since that game, for whatever reason. The team, they started to play remarkably better. Um, Marvin Lewis was one of the coaches that lost his job yesterday. Of course, you're forever tied to Marvin with your time as a pro bowler with the Cincinnati Bengals. 16 years, didn't win a playoff game. Um, I I thought, I mean, obviously, like, look, if you want to go into it, you had one playoff game where where, uh, Carson Palmer gets rolled up on, tears his his ACL against Kimo Van Olhoffen, right? Rolls up on him. You have the other one with the Pittsburgh Steelers, which was the most recent one, where they have the game won and they just melt a series of of meltdowns and I thought bad calls as well, combination of two some self some self inflicted, some official inflicted, and some Pittsburgh Steeler inflicted. But do do you believe that it was time that they had to had to move on? Uh yeah, I, I would say yes. You know, it, it just it was time. This year, for whatever reason, they got 18 guys on injured reserve, maybe 20. Andy Dalton gets hurt. A.J. Green gets hurt. Your two best players on offense, probably two best players on the team, you know, from a, from the offensive standpoint. And they just defensively, they were, I mean, terrible. If, if you can use another adjective besides terrible, that's what they were. And they just couldn't get it together. And Marvin – just they they played better once he took over the defensive. They play had college. they had they had the bad game against Cleveland, the first game against Cleveland, and again against New Orleans Saints. And after that, they were actually pretty good. Yes. They were pretty good on defense. Yes, and, and so and they didn't have Andy Dalton and didn't have whatever you think about it. They didn't have AJ Green most of the year. They they didn't have him. And so I I talked to Marvin yesterday, and he didn't sound like he was disappointed. And being let go, he was just kind of disappointed that he didn't do more. And I'm like, Coach, like, do you realize how it was when you got here? How was it? I mean, I thought it was fine. But when he got there (laughs) and so many things changed, you start to realize, like what I said earlier, 
Strippers came on training uh, during training camp. Stopped all of that. We didn't stay in hotels before he got there. We stayed in hotels. We didn't have water or Gatorade in the locker room. We got water and Gatorade in the locker room. But we didn't have water or Gatorade in the locker room? No. Just little, just little things like that. Um, like Marvin, I tell my kids now, nothing good happens after midnight. Marvin Lewis told us that pretty much every day. Um, Marvin was on the fo- forefront. We used to have meetings. Do not put your hand on a woman. This is in 2004 and 5. He's telling us this. Guys, when you got, do not put your hand on, we would have meetings about when you go out, and i never forget one time we had a discussion. If we were in a club and a woman thought you touched her and it wasn't you and she smacked you, how would you handle that? And he was, do not touch her. If she mistakenly smacks you in the face, do not touch her. Like, we were having these discussions in 2005. And way before the NFL was talking about this stuff, Marvin was bringing this to us. So not only was he coaching us, he was trying to develop us as young men. You know, we were all young. And, and so you kind of gloss over those things at the time, but then when you reflect and look back on it, you say, man, Marvin did a good job of not only helping us learn the game of football, but he was helping us in life as men. I guess then the question becomes, that when does when does wins and losses and disappointing seasons? And look, I mean, obviously Andy Dalton seemed to have topped out as well, right? Like they got they got as much out of Andy as they as they could. He was he was Kirk Cousins before Kirk Cousins. The thing with Andy Dalton and it's, it's pretty much every quarterback that's not Tom Brady, Drew Brees, Aaron Rodgers, Andrew Luck, and now looks like Russell Wilson, Carson Wentz, maybe. You have to surround them with a great team. Andy Dalton has to be protected. I, I and my, me and Marvin talked about this. Marvin loves Andy Dalton. He's like TJ. The, the kid is so smart. He'll change protections. He'll get us out of a bad play. These are things nobody knows. Like he's a coach. Like he is literally a coach on the field for every play. But things have to be. You have to really give him an O line. He hasn't had that O line that can protect him. Um, he has a great receiver in AJ. He has a pretty. He's always had a decent running game with good running backs, but. If they can fortify that offensive line, the being defensively, they're solid. Charles Davis going to join us upcoming next. We'll get his thoughts on the coaching moves and whether or not he believes Josh McDaniels should be a candidate after what took place last offseason in Indianapolis. We'll get you ready for Wild Card Weekend as well as a wild day of bowl season. With TJ Hitchman's I'm Doug Gottlieb. That's upcoming next on the Dan Patrick Show. Doug Gottlieb, TJ Hushmanzada, in for Dan the Danettes, Dan Patrick Show, Fox Sports Radio. Joined now by Charles Davis, Fox NFL analyst. Of course, he's kept the college game, he kept the pro game. He does it all. Charles, Happy New Year to you. Happy New Year, guys. Happy New Year to yourselves and your families and all your loved ones and anyone who can hear our voices. Hope it's going well. It, it's, it's going really, really well. Um, I still think we got to react to Week 17 with you. Okay. Um, Let's start with Minnesota. We, we've discussed it, and TJ, uh, TJ's kind of pointed out the issues in offensive line, but also the issues with Kirk Cousins, the remarkably bad winning percentage against winning teams during his time in both Washington and Minnesota. Uh, how much of the blame for their failures do you put on the quarterback's shoulders? I, unfortunately, you have to put a decent amount on it because he is the QB. He knew what he signed up for. There's no getting around it. I think that everyone can make their case for other things, which is fine. And there's a lot, definitely an element of truth to it, more than an element. If TJ's talked about the 
offensive line. I co-signed with that, TJ. I had them week one, and they were already struggling because Pat Elfline, their center, had, you know, had not come back yet. And, you know, it was Mike Remmers a guard or a tackle, and I had never been convinced about him since Super Bowl 50, or, you know, and even before that, and right on down the line. Then you get into some of the receiver issues. People don't talk about that very much. Who really was the number three? Because Laquan Treadwell should have been. Go back to the early part of the season, guys. Drops like crazy. You know, not picking up key first downs. Has not lived up to the number one status. They can look at John Filippo and say, well, he's the problem because he didn't run the ball enough. I don't know that that's 100% accurate. Check it out during the year. But when it's time to make plays, it's time to get it done, that's what Kirk Cousins signed up for. And I like Kirk a ton. And I saw him win a big game in Seattle two years ago with an offensive line that was horrible and got it done with some big plays. But consistently, the numbers show the tale. It's one of those things is when you get $84 million guaranteed in when the quarterbacks, we know this, they get way too much credit when things go great. Yep. And they take way too much of the blame when things go bad. That's the nature of the position that they play. Where does Minnesota go from here? Do Obviously, they're stuck with uh, Kirk Cousins as a quarterback. Yeah. Do they need to put all their resources in fortifying that offensive line because you pretty much are stuck with him as your QB? I would start there. And, TJ, I wouldn't consider it stuck as much as we know what we've got. And there's a lot of good in there with Kirk Cousins but you've got to build around him. I, he's not one of those few quarterbacks, and we probably, and you described it so accurately, is always too much credit, too much blame. And a lot of times we mythologize some of these quarterbacks like they did it all on their own, and we know that's not true. But Kirk's not one of those guys, in my humble opinion, that you just throw the game on his shoulders and there you go. you got a few guys like that that you would say, yeah, I just put it on him and let's see where we go. He's not one. So I would make sure that offensive line is fortified. And, if you can, and you know, the hard part is with your runners, can you keep them healthy? Because Dalvin Cook went healthy is as good as there is. He's really good. And Latavius Murray is a big-time player, too. Get your one-two punch back. But I still th- say third receiver, that's a big one. Who's going to be the extra guy to take some pressure off of Diggs and Thielen? That's the voice of Charles Davis, who, of course, is a Fox NFL analyst. He joins us here on the Dan Patrick Show on Fox Sports Radio with T.J. Hushmanzada. I'm Doug Gottlieb. Um, eight guys get fired. Obviously, there's a healthy dose of them who are African-American head coaches. Yeah. Only two remain. Um, like, look, I, obviously what happened in Arizona is probably the most alarming because of the issues off the field with the general manager, the issues with their offensive line with massive wholesale injuries, and it's just his first year. Um, what's your reaction to, the, to, to Black Monday? Yeah, I mean, <laughs> I actually had a... a colleague who also happens to be black as I am call me and go boy we really named it unfortunately right on target black monday didn't we and you know I mean you know, it's gallows humor as we know i had um there's on the cardinals week 16 guys against the rams and the atmosphere around there we weren't sure going in we'd heard the rumors we spent time we didn't really address it much with steve wilkes other than you know him saying hey i'm planning on being here which of course was the right answer and then right before kickoff talked to some people and at that point my partner and i looked at each other and said i think the gm's going to be here and the head coach is going to be gone yeah. and 
it's one of those issues where, yes, we can throw that into the pot about the lack of, of, of black or African-American head coaches and how many are getting fired at one time. But you take them case by case, and I think there's some legitimacy in what we're looking at in terms of the hiring, I mean, in the firings. The problem I have is, and the, the challenge I think is, when, he, when, when, when we lose a good number of them, like we are now, who's in the pipeline that is going to get on equal footing to be considered next, to fill in? Because we can jump up and down, scream and yell about Steve Wilkes only getting one year. We've had white coaches who have been established who have gotten one year. Pete Carroll got one year with the Jets with a better record, okay? Uh, Ray, uh, now, uh, now, Ray Rhodes was a black coach, got one year in Green Bay. Marty Schottenheimer, white coach, got one year in Washington. I'm just naming them off the top of right, my right. head. So it's not, a, it's not always apples to oranges on this thing. Sometimes it, it, there is some that goes. But who else is in the pipeline? Because what, where the concern is, Adam Gase gets fired in Miami, and immediately we're talking about him interviewing at other head coaching places. What black coach that got fired has immediately been put into the pipeline? Hey, he can go coach at this at another place. I think I think Marvin Lewis has got a shot. I think Marvin's got a shot if he wants it. I think it's not helping him, and I would tell him this if I were sitting next to him, and he would tell me I can go pound sand because Hugh Jackson is a, is a very good friend of his. I coach with Hugh. I consider him a very good friend. I don't know that you can endorse Hugh to be a head coach right now. No, he's toxic. No, he's, okay. He, he, I just he, don't know that you can do that and, and, and have people look at you and go, okay, that works. I'm not saying Hugh shouldn't get a chance down the road again, perhaps, but I just don't know how you can just say that in this hiring cycle that that's a legitimate deal, and that's where things get difficult. And I know Hugh, can, Hugh will probably be mad at me, and I, don't, and I wouldn't blame him, but I just don't know how you can, you can say that and make that part work. But is Eric Bieniemy going to get some interviews? You know, would Steve Wolf get another chance right away? We know the answer is no. That's where the issue falls for me. I see these guys lose jobs, and immediately they're candidates elsewhere, and they're coming off of losing records. Is Todd Bowles a candidate right away? No. The problem is, in my opinion, and you can talk about this, is they want coaches that can develop quarterbacks. And African-American coaches, they're <laughs> not quarterbacks. They're not, they're not put in that position. Well, they have, a lot of them haven't been quarterbacks, right? And, and, there was, there was, but it, it, up until the last 20 years – you know, how, how many black quarterbacks think about there? Think about this, though. How many coaches in the NFL that coach quarterbacks that played it? There's not very many. Not many. Not very many. It, the teams that I were on, none of the quarterback coaches played quarterback. And, and so Chris, Look, Andy, was, Chris and, Richard, Andy, he, Andy he, he's Reed's an option. Andy Reid's a quarterback option. guru. TJ, Andy Reid's a quarterback guru. He's an offensive lineman. Right, and, that, and that's my point. You don't have to. Coach quarterbacks to be able to explain to them to teach them the game, and that that the problem is there's not many African American coaches that are assistants that are put in positions of power, so to speak, that gives them an opportunity to be viable head coaching candidates, and I, and I think that is probably the biggest concern. Um, and it's what you said. I it's two of them that I can name off, maybe three: Brian Flores, yeah, Flores. Eric Bieniemy, and Chris Richard. Yeah, and, and then let me throw one other thing in there, too. And this is where Flores and Richard are going to struggle a little bit because we are in a cycle of offense right now. And to TJ's point, the offensive guys are the first people they are looking for right now because if you take a look at the, the, the black coaches that got fired or left their jobs, Marvin Lewis, what was he? Defensive guy. Todd Bowles, defense. Steve Wilkes, defense. defense. Okay, so you go down the line with guys who are losing jobs. They came in on the defensive cycle, 
And to TJ's point again, more opportunities on that side of the ball for black coaches. The, the guys who are coaching quarterbacks, the guys who are calling plays, they're not there. So, Uh-oh. Uh-oh. Uh-oh, that's not good. That, that never good sound right there. But we, we see where he was going. Right. It, it, it's just the opportunity for coaches that coach in the NFL and to get any type of significance on an offensive staff, it just doesn't happen in the NFL for black coaches. It's not very many. Yeah, no, it's, it's, it's going to be fascinating to see uh, how the league and if the league continues to evolve. It just, it, I'm it, thinking right now. And I could be wrong. There's only there was only one African American offensive coordinator off my head that I can think of right now, and that was Byron Leftwich, and he got that midway through the season. Right. That and, was it. Um, and of course, Byron Leftwich, a former former quarterback. That is fascinating. The old guys that didn't play are quarterback gurus, right? Like and, that's and just, it's that's a hard one. Have you you ever you ever played for somebody who didn't play? Yes, I. I I play for one now. My receiver little, coaches. I never had a receiver coach that that, that that knew more than me about the receiver position. They yeah. could teach me football. That's a really hard one. But they couldn't teach I, me I just, how to play I, my position. Talking, like I played for John McLeod at Notre Dame, and he coached eighteen years in the NBA. And like I remember thinking, like he doesn't know. He has no idea about college basketball. He had been in college basketball back. He had coached at Oklahoma back in the day, and he'd been in college basketball for a couple years. And I just remember like. I learned a lot, and we were we. I learned a ton about motion basketball, whatever. But playing for a dude that hadn't played, I was like, this dude does not. He's not seeing the same that thing that I'm seeing. A lot every. It sport. does not happen. No, it doesn't happen that much in basketball. Oh, football all the time. Not, in basketball, almost never, almost never, and it's so different as opposed to basketball. Most guys, a lot of point guards, friends are, hire their friends. It doesn't matter what position. Um, Charles, let's let, let's get to Josh. Hey. Go ahead. Hey, sorry about that, guys. My apologies for that Fisher Price phone. I thought I got a new one this year. My <laughs> That's right. We we hope for that for the for the new year. Uh, Josh McDaniels had the Colts job, backed out of the Colts yeah. job. Now now he gets an opportunity to talk to the Green Bay Packers. Um, how how much does what happened last year affect whether or not Green Bay goes after him? <laughs> not as much as as it would to other people. And, and and I don't want to turn this into a, a, a total manifesto on black black and white and what have you. But Josh also, having been a head coach and a quarterback guru with a Packers franchise that sees their window shutting fast because of Aaron Rodgers and where he is, if Josh comes in and says all the right things about what happened with the Colts, I don't think that the Packers will hold that against him. They've got to get something done where someone is going to connect with Aaron and have a chance to try and win another Super Bowl before it's all said and done. Because I believe Aaron's, what, 34, 35, TJ? Yes, 35. So, so at this stage, I don't think that it'll be held against him quite like it would with other people because he went back to a place that continues to churn out excellence. He's back there with Tom Brady. And what he says to them privately will take care of business because I have a feeling Josh is smart enough to know the right things to say and fall on the sword the right amount. I think other people, they wouldn't even get this interview. But this is big for Green Bay because their window is shutting fast, and they've got to get this done with someone that Aaron Rodgers is going to connect with, respect, and be able to run an offense that, that, that gives them a chance to win. Sean McVay leaves Washington Redskins, becomes a head coach of the Rams, and literally turns Jared Goff from a bus to <laughs> a really good player. Now it looks like everybody's looking for that 
early 30-year-old coach <laughs> that, that can duplicate what he has done. Zach Taylor's getting interviews and other young yeah. offensive quote-unquote gurus. Is there a guy out there that nobody's talking about that can kind of come under the radar and land a job? That's a great question, TJ, because Eric Bieniemy is doing that with Patrick Mahomes and probably not getting much credit for it because the perception is, and I believe, it's all Andy Reid. And yeah. Andy Reid is calling plays. Yeah. See, so so there there's there's an issue right there that in any other time he would be a guy that we'd all be jumping on because, as you pointed out, Sean McVay begat Matt Nagy last year. Yeah, because he didn't call you know, plays in Washington, huh? Well, but, well, but look, look the, the guy who, guy who won the Super Bowl, he didn't call plays. You know, like look, we, like look, we're sitting there looking, and you're like, Doug Peterson didn't call plays when he was in Kansas City. He got the yeah. head coaching job in in Philadelphia, and 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 called the plays yeah. and won a Super Bowl. Yeah. Don't forget this. You know, Urban Meyer got his first job at Bowling Green, never called plays. So here's the thing: people have to keep in mind. You better have a guy who's got some presence. TJ, you can describe this better. Doug, you can describe it better because of the levels of ball that you played. But you got that person who walks into the room. Yep. Commanding the commanding the room is not just a, a press conference phrase. It's commanding the room in all situations. Sean McVay does that at his youthful age. So when I hear people say, "Hey, let's go get Lincoln Riley because he's blowing it up at Oklahoma," or "Let's go get this other guy," does that guy have that same presence? that when they walk into that room and, 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 and not just putting out their knowledge, right. but when things get bumpy, that that team's going to respect? Because Sean went through a little bump, few bumps this year. You know who's the best lost, at he that? He hasn't lost that team. It, it seems like Mike Tomlin commands a room every time he walks commands in. It. Oh, okay. Every time. I, I listen, I, I agree. Let us let me get into the Tomlin thing. I, Charles, I know you, you've read yep. the story. We've talked about it all morning. You talking about the Antonio Brown Big Ben one? Yeah. So And, yeah. So, and for people who are just joining us, Happy New Year to you. Uh, Charles Davis is our guest, of course, NFL on Fox analyst, TJ Hushmanzada, former Pro Bowl wide receiver. I'm Doug Gottlieb. This is the Dan Patrick Show. The story is Antonio Brown got into it with with, with Ben uh, going back to midweek last week, throw a football at Ben, storms out of practice, and then doesn't return text, doesn't show up the rest of the week, shows up on Sunday game day, and uh, and wants to play, and Mike Tomlin doesn't doesn't play him. Right. So I, the, the question now is, can, can you can you put the what is it, the genie back in the bottle? Like what do you <laughs> what do you do now if you're Mike Tomlin? Who we all agree, if you've ever met Mike Tomlin, you're like that guy takes over a room, right? He feels like yeah. a feels like a head coach, but with all the respect that he's got, you still have a mess of dysfunction in Pittsburgh. Yeah, and and I don't think it's all Mike's going to have to do the job, and he'll do it better better than than most of us. Of it's not just Antonio Brown throwing a ball, Big Ben. What precipitated it? How much of that is, 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 is in both camps that led to that? Was Antonio Brown's actions actually justified from a distance? The answer is no in terms of staying away from your team and then showing up Sunday wanting to play. So to me, Mike Tomlin did the only thing he could do. You, you can't play. You, you know, otherwise, I lose the rest of the team. And they won without him. Okay, So that helped his cause going forward. But these are not the first bumps they've had. They've had more and more of these bumps in recent years. That's going to be Mike Tomlin's challenge, but I will tell you this: if anyone's going to get it solved, I would bet on him. I still remember John Lynch telling me about when Tomlin took over as a secondary coach. You guys probably heard this story. John's an All-Pro safety, and here comes Mike Tomlin, who he's never worked with before. Tomlin meets him. Nice to meet you, John. Here you go. Here's about 50 things that I took off of your film. 
that I want you to work on to get better next year. Well, well, what? I'm an all-pro. Who are you? And it really threw John off in the beginning. And then as he went through it, and Mike stayed true to the course and coaching him yeah. as hard as you could, should, could coach a guy, their trust and their bond is beyond beyond belief now. So that's what you get out of Mike Tomlin throughout. But yeah. Antonio Brown's going to have to hit the mark, too. You know, it's funny. I was, I was, at, I was at Clemson earlier this year. Uh, I did a show at Clemson. And I talked to people about Dabo, and they were like, you know, when Dabo was a wide receivers coach, that's where all everyone would go. Like you yep. go by his office, he just he just there's just like an it factor that that guys have, and and that's obviously something that that Tomlin has a, as well. Let me let me let me get to a story from from yesterday that I I love your opinion on. I value your analysis of college and pro players at the level or above the level of just about anybody else in the business. So I think you could do it. I'm wondering what you think about Mayock's ability to do it, which is step out of TV and then and then go be a, a you know um, a player personnel yeah. guy, which is essentially what he's going to be with the Oakland Raiders. Right. Do you think it's a good fit? I think it's a really good fit in terms of Mike's evaluation of players, Mike's understanding of of how guys transition and translate into the NFL, about doing the work, about being on the road and eyeballing them, and then putting his name on things. See, a lot of guys will go out and do all that evaluation and then get wishy-washy when they ask you in the room, hey, do you like this guy or not? Well, I kind of am. Well, I... No, you can't have that. Mike will never be that guy. Yes, I like him. No, I don't. And here's why. How he and John coexist, as you, as you alluded to, Doug, that's going to be an interesting deal. Yeah. But you will never have any issues about where Mike stands on players and evaluations. And he will put the time. He will put the work in. He will be the ultimate grinder. But it's not just doing work to do work. I think it's doing work with a really good eye towards understanding and seeing these kids. Now, the difference is, when we do it on TV, are we graded? Eh, kind of, sort of. But we can play the hits all the time, can't we? When we get a guy right, our TV people go, hey, remember you got him right, you got him right. It's, it's evident whether you're right or wrong now, because does that guy play well or not? You know, it's a different stamp. But I think Mike transitions well that way. He's very smart. He built himself up in commercial real estate, so he understands business. He'll have to pick up some stuff. But if John Lynch can transition into being a GM and other guys have happened, look, Lewis Riddick, I think, can do it coming from ESPN if they gave him the opportunity. But I'm all in on Mike being able to do that as a GM slash player personnel guy. Man, the way Doug just uh, put you on a pedestal, would this be something that uh, you'd be interested in doing yourself <laughs> in the future? Want him to, if you want him running for governor, <laughs> they want him to be the athletic director of Tennessee. They want him to do anything other than the thing he's doing. And he's no, really good at what nice. he's doing. <laughs> that's awfully kind and awfully nice. TJ, I'll put it to you this way. I'd be stupid not to say, I would be stupid to say that I would never do something like that. If someone came to me and they were crazy enough to, hey, we want to talk to you about this, I darn sure would listen. Okay, no doubt about it. It's a great challenge. It's a great way to be involved in this. It, it's something that, you know, we all are athletes and we all want to put our, our names out there and say we accomplished something. Sure, there's no doubt about it. But remember with Mike, this isn't the first time. Okay, other people have danced this dance with Mike before, including the Raiders a few years ago with Al Davis. So it's not like it's just totally out of the blue. No. Uh, you know, I think a couple of other franchises have reached out and talked to him privately before. So, you know, I'm really happy for him. It's going to be an interesting deal for he and John. But John's my old roommate. Mike's my, my, TV, my TV colleague and partner. I'm wishing them both nothing but success. All right, let me ask you a couple of things about the games this weekend. Seattle going into Dallas. Seattle's been 
way better than expected, mostly based upon running the football with Chris Carson. Defense, yeah. they've remade themselves in, in very short order against the Dallas Cowboys, who have, they've figured out their roster, and now they're going to be, should be much healthier uh, heading into this game. Who do you like in Big D? Um, in, in this ball game, it comes down to Russell Wilson making plays in the fourth quarter. But that's like every Seahawks ball game ever, it feels it like, is. with Russell Wilson. Like, it Russell is. Wilson has the ball down three, go. Yep, and, and, and here's the thing. This year he's had to do less of total improvisation because of what you mentioned, Doug, with Chris Carson running the ball. They figured out the offensive line. You know, they, they move people. The Cowboys are bringing Zach Martin back off the MCL, okay? Tyron Smith didn't play last week. Zeke got rest. Everything should be hunk-dory. But to me, Dallas, more than Seattle, has to play where Zeke leads them. I think that Seattle can find a way to survive if somehow they can't run the ball with Carson because Russell will make a few more plays. The The Ravens-Chargers one is interesting because I, I felt like the, the Chargers finally figured out what the Ravens were doing in the second half, but they couldn't block the Ravens. They just they got mauled, absolutely yeah. mauled the point of attack. Now, they have more weapons this week. With uh, They're getting Hunter Henry back, and they got Austin Eckler, who didn't play in the, previ- in the previous game. And the Chargers have been better. They'll on get the road. Melvin Gordon. They, well, Melvin Gordon played in that play, did play in the game against the Ravens two weeks ago. But yeah, they're fully Chargers are fully healthy for the first time all year uh, on the offensive side of the football. But the, but it didn't matter because they couldn't block the Ravens. Can they block the Ravens in Baltimore this weekend? Tough to do. Obviously, we know that. But I think that Ken Wisenhunt and Anthony Lynn will have a little bit different plan going forward with this. Having all the weapons back means that Phillip does not have to take five steps and hold it all the time. He can throw those swings to Melvin Gordon. He can check it down quicker with him and Austin Eckler. Hunter Henry coming back now gives him another target in the middle of the field. And I'm glad Hunter Henry's actually playing because a few weeks ago he was playing. Oh, anyway, moving right along. So <laughs> <laughs> that's a good one. I'm just happy that he's back. And, and and then and then you flip it over. You flip it over to the Baltimore side. If Lamar Jackson can keep his runs under 15, I think that's better for them. Because right now he's playing single-wing tailback. This is Tim Tebow 2.0. Totally. At more accurate throwing yep. the football. Uh, but, if he, but if he has 26 carries, guys, that's too many. I think the Chargers win this game on the road because their defense will find a way, even though it looks like it's Baltimore's defense that wins it. Yeah. I think that the Chargers' defense, with their offense healthy now, I think they go on the road and win this. All right, last thing. We got, we got like 30 seconds. Eagles, okay. Eagles Bears, uh, it looks it, – it, it looks like it's going to be um, um, that it's going to be Foles at at quarterback. Yeah. Bear, Bears have made a lot of good quarterbacks look like bad quarterbacks. <laughs> it's in Chicago. Yeah. Who do you like? I, I do like Chicago because I don't know that the Eagles can get their running game going well enough. Akeem Hicks wrecks people inside; doesn't get enough credit for yeah. it. So I think Chicago finds a way to get this one done. Akeem Hicks and uh, Chris Jones, two of the best players that I don't think enough people have have come around to just how great they've been this year. Uh, Charles, great great year yourself. We appreciate you joining us. Thanks for being our guest, and Happy New Year. Hey, Happy New Year to you guys. Thanks for having me on, and, and keep kicking butt, fellas. We'll uh, talk to you down the this road. This is Charles Davis, care, Fox Charles. NFL analyst, along with TJ Hispanzada. I'm Doug Gottlieb. We'll get you ready for bowl season. It's either their national champions or the whole thing has been a joke. We'll discuss it next. Doug Gottlieb, TJ Hispanzada. Take it into the new year. Welcome in. This is the Dan Patrick Show here on Fox Sports Radio. All right, we solved most of the world's problems. Most of the world's problems. Um, 
Many of you are getting ready to watch bowl season really kick. I'm like, this is January 1st is, you know, it's a great day to watch football. It's an amazing day. You got to turn the microphone on, dude. You know what's funny? What? Is a buddy of mine just texted me, right? Couldn't Chris, Gottlieb's pretty knowledgeable. <laughs> I appreciate that's respect. <laughs> like you, you, but see, but see, is there any? No, you know why you're pretty knowledgeable because he's a Could, Bears fan, and you brought up Hakeem um, Hicks, and he was like, nobody never gives him any credit. That means he's pretty knowledgeable. That's pretty good. Huh? <laughs> that's, that's all right. Um, listen, I take I take any compliment as a compliment, even if it even if you you read it in a way in which it was a negative. <laughs> no, God, no, he's pretty. It's funny that yeah, you just mentioned a guy's team and one player that he's listening. I did to a Bears it. game. I did sideline uh, for for the Bears Dolphins. Remember that Bears Dolphins overtime? Yes, game? everybody's gonna bring all you bring up is Khalil Mack, and you've kind of Khalil Mack was bad else. in that game. He was ba- in in that particular game. Like their whole game plan, they were they were running tempo. Uh, they were they were chipping him. They were doing everything. He didn't, and he and I thought the Heat wore him down. The Bears defense, you got Khalil Mack, you got Raekwon Smith, you got Trevathan. Raekwon, you got, Raekwon Smith. You got Fuller. They they got a pretty – any defense that's strong is never just one player. It's always a collective group of guys. But but when you know when you add Raekwon Smith at a, at a linebacker, now he gives you speed as well. The back end was is the part that they they were most concerned about, right, is that yeah. if you get time, they're the back end of that defense, which if you look at how Foles has played, Foles – is a guy that can beat you with chunk plays. He'll throw that ball deep downfield. So I don't know. Gonna be gonna be fascinating. Fascinating to watch this upcoming upcoming weekend. Got bowl season, and to me today, as much as you got the granddaddy of them all and Urban Meyer, who, you know, whatever happened with his former assistant, it's pretty hard to argue that outside of Saban, outside of Saban, he's been the best best coach in the twenty twenty first century or two thousand. I don't right? even think it's close. I mean, it's like people forget. Like Bowling Green, they were good, but Utah, they were undefeated. You look at Florida. Florida, he leaves Nash. Florida, they fall off a cliff. Yes, like he, Urban Meyer has been one of the better college coaches of the last twenty years, no question. Not better. I can't think of anyone better outside Just of Nick Saban. Nick Saban. Yeah, right. That, that's it. You can't. That that would be if Pete Carroll had stayed in college football. You could make an argument the way uh, SC was rolling when he was a coach, but outside of uh, Nick Saban, it, it's Urban Meyer. Yeah, I I, I agree with you. Um, but but the the there is no in in between, uh, unfairly or fairly so for Central Florida. They take on LSU, and if they win, it's hey we got Auburn last year, we got LSU this year, and look LSU best cover corner is not going to play, and LSU is good, but let's not act like LSU is is great. They did beat Georgia, but they lose to Florida this year. Um, talented team. But if they win, they're going to print the shirts, back-to-back national champions. Undefeated two consecutive years. If they lose, it's, see, they play two SEC teams. They won one, they lost one. They'd be a 500 team in the SEC. If they win this game, they need to be respected as such. You, it, I don't care who you play. It's hard to go two years without losing a game. I don't care who you're playing. I don't believe they're going to win, but if they win this game and they beat two SEC quote-unquote powerhouses, these are upper echelon teams in the SEC in Auburn last year, yes. and possibly be, if they beat LSU this year, they deserve to be respected, and, they, and people should give them their, their respect if they if they do pull this off. Yeah, but th- there's a difference in respect and, hey, they're national champions, right? No, they're 
they're national champions in their own eyes, in their fans' eyes, and the parents of the kids. But realistically, could could they beat Alabama and Clemson? I'm gonna say no, and they'll say yes. Well, it's, no. it's and again, it's not. And the truth is, it's not just could you beat Alabama and Clemson. It's could you beat Alabama? Maybe, like me at home. I don't know. Maybe. No. Okay, probably not. No chance. But, but but okay. Then what would you do the next week when you played Mississippi State, and then, and then you played Auburn, and then you played Georgia, and then you Texas played Texas A&M. Right. I'm Texas Florida. A&M's got dudes. And you go through that schedule undefeated. Happy New Year, brother. The same. T.J. Hushmanzada. We know each other for 13, 14 years. First time we did a radio show together. Hope we didn't ruin your morning. Have a happy New Year. Glad you're safe. Enjoy the football. Back tomorrow on the Dan Patrick Show. At Bed 365 we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. See for yourself when you sign up today and get $150 in bonus bets when you bet just $5. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow The Global Story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. If a new house is on your wish list in the next five years, grow your savings faster and experience your dreams with an Ohio Homebuyer Plus account from Kemba Financial Credit Union, a savings account specifically designed to save for a new home where you can earn 7% APY, a $500 matching bonus, and a $1,500 mortgage closing cost credit. Learn more at Kemba.org. Offer expires March 31st, 2025. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. NMLS 292230. Equal housing lender. Federally insured by NCUA. We are the voice of NASCAR. The green flag is in the air, and we are underway. The great American race. The Motor Racing Network. NASCAR Cup, Xfinity, and Craftsman Truck Series Racing. Live on your hometown radio station and MRN or NASCAR.com. Martinsville, Talladega, the Chicago Street Course. We have the side-by-side action, and last lap passes for the win. Photo finishes. Ryan Blaney will win. The voice of NASCAR, the Motor Racing Network. Network.